Welcome to the Special Delivery Podcast. I am your host, Special, and on this show, I like to do one of two things. Either I'm delivering you brand new music that's dropped, or I'm sitting down with an artist to break down their latest project, and that's what we're doing today. Monty Draper joins me for the third time to break down his latest album, TV Babies, and just for a little bit of context, this was recorded in November of 2019. Yes, it takes a while to really edit a two-hour podcast, but it's all good. We're here now. We broke down everything from the cover art to the concept and every single song Monty just gave us so much background to what he was going through what he was thinking what he wanted to portray to the audience and we really get into the concepts of the album as well as far as where he wants to see creators in the coming years and just these ideas of dedication and paying homage to people and just so much more. So let's get into it. Monty Draper, Bravery at Dav Records, Richmond, California. Special Delivery Podcast alumni. I'm proud of it. This is your third time on <laughs> this the is show. Three. I've had people on multiple Post other shows, things, yeah. mm-hmm. like, you know, Creators Cut and all that stuff. But I'm like, I think you might be like the top <laughs> ranking score on Special Delivery. I'm always going to come back because I listen to. Right? Thank you. So it, was, it feels good to be on here. Like getting to have an in depth conversation about something that means so much to you with somebody who like genuinely engaged with it you know so it's it's different it's a it's a different it doesn't feel like a like an interview based show thank you i appreciate that you, you know my slogan is basically i listen to the music i have questions and i have the wonderful opportunity of asking them like it's great it's it's nuts <laughs> how are you doing i'm good i'm good i'm fresh off of doing my podcast so the podcast world, especially our show, it's so therapeutic for me. me and you and I have talked about this mm-hmm. off the air. It's my therapy. It's not governed the way my music is either. So it's a completely different release for me weekly, and I get to look forward to it. So I get to really go work through some of my own shit and while masking it as I'm doing the show. <laughs> where I'm, you know, so it's, it's content. So I, feel, I always feel good leaving the show and then... It's the getting to the next week, the next episode. That's kind of like the challenge that all everything in between. So I'm good right now. Meet the brave every single Monday. They got your Mondays unlocked. They just make it easy. So you know, <laughs> we have to talk about TV babies. Yeah, man. Like I said, I had to corner you. I'm like, <laughs> this album came out in June, and you haven't talked about it, and. It deserves to be talked about like thoroughly and in depth. Like I'm nervous about how long this is going to be, but I'm perfectly okay with it because it deserves it and more. It's so hard too because it's so crazy. We just got done talking about entitlement and there's something that happens when you feel like you made something that special and you have some weird expectations about how to be received. And if, if you don't get remotely close to that, it, for whatever reason, it impacts the music for you. So everybody keeps asking like, yo, what's next? Visuals? This, that, and that album meant so much to me conceptually, um, production-wise, and, and from, the, from the features to the producers, everything. It really is a sensitive-ass spot, That just what that record means. It was always going to be you that I talked about with it first, because it's just, it. you were there for a session, and the exchange, you had like the first version of it and all this other stuff too, so I only wanted to talk to you about it, I guess is what I'm saying. Thank you. I'm like, I want to talk about it so bad. I'm like, oh, man. Thank you. We definitely have to talk about the session because I think that the session that I went to 
just showed me so much. And the thing that stuck out to me the most about that session is how intentional you are and how natural it is Mm. for you to drop the beat out or double that up. Because we know you produce, we know you rap, but like damn near telling the engineer what to do in a nice way, but (laughs) knowing exactly how you want everything to sound. Was that the first time you felt this way? And and what did that feel like? Um, No, I've always sort of felt that way, but you get confident as you get confirmation about your sensibilities, right? So from the very beginning of making music, like not understanding music theory, not knowing how to play the instrument to save my life, none of that, but always knowing where things need to be you can be really insecure, especially when your friends are as talented as mine. So from Ill Wilk, Andy Wilkie, AKA Frank, like all these people that I've been around that have been studying music their whole life. And I've been around them for more more than half our lives. They're extremely talented and knowledgeable in that sense. And I'm just like, damn, like I grew up around them. So I know what it's supposed to sound like, but I don't really know what the hell I'm talking about. So I don't feel like I should tell an engineer or a producer who's been doing it forever. Nah, that's wrong. Or it should be like this. And it wasn't until I met Kate Lamont, who's like one of my dearest friends who was like, oh, how long you been producing? And I was like, I'm not a producer. Like I didn't identify as a producer when I met her. And she was like, hey, everything you just did in that session, you produced that record. You do know that, right? And I was like, word? And then she was like, yeah, produce my album. And I was like, wait, wait a minute, lady, relax. But it was literally, she kicked it off in terms of me going, oh, bet, that's what that feels like. And so I got really confident, trusting my sensibilities, and then went through this like grueling artist development process at The Nest in Richmond like engineering other people's sessions, engineering my own sessions, mixing my own records and and, and recording myself, all the, all these different things. And so you just get more comfortable. I think that's the best thing as, that an artist can do is engineer for other people and engineer your own sessions because it, it lends to like being real confident in the things that are, that are innate, your sensibilities musically. And from LMA to TV Baby, I recorded all of LMA myself. My first album, I recorded every vocal of that fucking record. You know what I'm saying? And then to TV Babies, some of that I recorded, but I really wanted to have other people in the room. And Vinny, from Vinnie Bells to SK, to Soundtrack, to Zenin, all the engineers who double as producers, like getting to work with them, elevated it because they're inclined to be like, nah, fam, do that better. You know, so there was there was a give and take for as much as I got to, like, put my stamp on it and tell them what I wanted. I also allowed enough space for them to, like, really produce me, too. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I really wanted to be intentional about that more than anything. Man, shout out to Kate Lamont. You got to shout her out. <laughs> shout out to Kate. Man, she's so talented. And make sure you guys support her on Patreon. Absolutely. I support her on Patreon. And it, it's just fun. Like, it's so fun to see what she comes Isn't up with on crazy? there. Shout out to Kate. She's got a self-produced. And again recorded herself she's got a i'm i feel bad for saying this but she's got a christmas ep i'm a closet like christmas music fan i don't really fool with christmas but i fool with christmas music (laughs) Mm -hmm. and she's like yo i got a surprise for you and then she i was like yo she invited me to the mixing sessions and i was like yo you're dope she mic'd everything and recorded it in her house and it sounds incredible so it's like definitely support her on patreon and seed she's she's seed 11 think so or 12 i don't know she's one but either way y'all need all the seeds so Mm -hmm. some seed 
one all the way through. Mo Green just sold out last week in Vallejo at, what is it, Pinball Records. So, Vallejo, so, yeah. Vinyl, and Pinball. You, you feel me? So. Mm-hmm. I already talked to DJ Bossa. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how we're going to get through all of them, but you have to come by and we have to talk about talk all about, of them. Yeah. Like, that's my dog, man. All of the seeds. It's yeah. crazy. Goodness gracious. So TV Babies. Yes. The title. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with the title? I love concept records. I do. It's something beautiful about it. It's almost like theater or writing a, a screenplay. Once 444 came out, it was really conflicted with some of the messaging and how it was delivered. Hove, by all means, is is my world as far as, far as hip-hop is concerned. And I want so much for the younger generation, un- even under me, to sort of idolize him the way that I did, even though it's so far removed. So I'm always worried about how the elder statesmen deliver information. And his intentions were pure. He was saying all the right things, but delivery is so important based on like how people receive stuff. And there are moments in 444 that feel real Bill Cosby-ish to me, where it's pull your pants up type shit. And that's just not gonna land right. You know, and it's going to be a turnoff to the kids. I hear what you're saying because I'm 30 and I don't have no time to play and I need to listen. So you could talk to me like that. That's different. But the kids who are a little bit more misguided, don't have as much access like you talking down to them ain't really going to fly, really going to land right. And so for whatever reason, that thought sparked what it's like to be raised by hip hop and have this relationship or this attachment to something that by all means was made out of something so pure, but had was so misguided in so many ways. I can't turn my back on it. I can't just pivot and be like, to hell with hip hop and, and all its misogyny, its, uh, its, its homophobia, all these things. Like it, it's so wrong, I know that, but I need to make a, a last definitive stand for my affinity for rap music, but specifically gangster rap. And if you're a 90s baby, there's something about that connection to the TV and from Yo MTV Raps, Rap City, The Basement, 106 and Park, uh, TRL, The Box, CMC, all these different shows where I would be glued to the TV and getting so many of my social cues from videos. Like nothing but a G thing video is ingrained in my visual sort of like cycle. Like if I close my eyes, I can watch that whole video at, at the drop of a hat. I get around is the same way. Captain Save Him, like there's so many of these videos that are just ingrained in me, you know? And so I wanted to tell a specific story about a kid who's raised on gangster rap, but has a loving mother, a mother, supportive father, an incredible support system, and what that duality can sort of like present, like the walking contradiction. And one of my boys wrote, was like, yo, this is an aggressive tone. It's like, yo, it's in the vein of gangster rap. And I and that was one of the things I was sad about because I was like, maybe I didn't deliver that enough. I also don't want to be the person to tell people how to consume something. Like, I just want you to have it the first time and see what happens. But it was it was really an ode to hip hop music, to specifically that 90s era gangster rap from all across the world, specifically rap a lot records like Down South, like Houston, uh, No Limit, Cash Money, like that whole Miami Bay shit in Atlanta and Memphis, more importantly, 3-6 Mafia, like that type of music really shaped me. And I wanted to pay tribute to that. So TV Babies is that like this kid just being raised by the TV for better or for worse and sort of navigating that. And it's real, like, um, it's theater. While you hope people will get that element, I know so many people missed it. And and that's, that's nobody's fault. I'm not even sad about it. 
I'm more so proud of sticking sticking so close to a narrative that people are like, yo, fam, are you going through anything? You want to tell us about something? Yeah. Like, no, this is a conceptual display of a character. And it was really inspired by Childish Gambinos because of the internet. Mm. That was such an awesome display of artistic just fortitude where he was like, yo, here's the character. I'm going to stay committed to this character and deliver it for you. And he does that every album. And I don't know if people are picking up on it or not. I think with all like theater and stuff, you pull from you to make it real, more relatable. But some, so much of it is theater too, you know? So I was pulling from real life experiences and stuff like that. But the delivery and the presentation is real package like death like some death row records some some cat some no limit like i want to polish it and make it sound like that too so a lot of that shit is intentional yeah i mean i feel like the theater part people may have missed it because there are parts of you in it mm -hmm. and there's so many like honest things that we kind of already knew about you like yeah. we we know about you going to college in Ashland Oregon mm. and we kind of know what your degree was but you kind of get more into that yeah. and, and what that looked like I think you did a great job of balancing the character but still giving off parts of yourself while still like the cohesive sound is crazy yeah, on this album shout out the guys man shout yeah. out everybody that touched it yeah it's cohesive without becoming boring or mm. becoming like oh okay i know what's gonna happen next it's like oh shit i didn't expect that but it fucking fits so well Absolutely. so thank oh, you so good <laughs> and it's funny too because i remember we had a brief conversation about tv babies and i feel like you kept it super brief and you were just like oh it's just about like unlearning a little bit of like entitlement and just like navigating unlearning and things that we got from the tv but like yeah. for you to take it a step further and have the gangster rap element and have this storytelling theatrical piece just crazy yeah. it's crazy because i'm still like and perhaps i'll figure that part out you're promoting an album so should you have said that from the rip but then am i ruining the experience with it i i, I don't i don't know and part of me, I, I change my mind every day. I'm like, yo, I'm, next time I'm gonna tell everybody everything. And then I'm like, no, I'm not. Cause the people it resonated with and the people that got it, yo, like it's 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 really overwhelming to get those messages and talk to those people. Cause it's, to them it's clear as day. Mm -hmm. But then to some, some people are like, yo, whoa, what's happening here? You know, because it, it literally does take you on this ride where it's like extremely emotional, vulnerable, and like it lands kind of soft and then out of nowhere to just get hella hard at it. Like in between bars, like it's not even from song to song, it literally is from line to line. Mm -hmm. That's what I was so proud of was being that intentional mm -hmm. about capturing that level of duality balance, whatever the hell you want to call it. Yeah. I wanted to capture that from bar to bar and I think I did it, you know, and so. See, now I'm not mad at you that it took you this long to sit down and talk with me because <laughs> now I'm like, I feel like you just gave it new life mm. to where we all listened to it and we all enjoyed it and took it in and just were enamored by it. And now I want to go listen to it again because <laughs> now I'm like, oh, now I want to see the character run across the screen. Like, I'm, I'm so juiced. So right. now you're just perfect timing. Yeah, like, right? okay. I, th I think, you know what I mean? You were saying how you kind of went back and forth on telling people, but I think now is damn near the perfect time to tell yeah, people so no, we're, we're away from it enough and it's like all right bet let me go really sit with it and i'm just grateful for the people that because that's how i consume music uh, you got be just up here beautiful and be just like a lot like you when you meet people especially in in our field like it's rare to meet people you take a liking to you know and just want to see them win and i remember how much shit be just was going through 
and when he dropped the cover art and we had just we had just had conversations about when he was going to do music, when he was going to drop some whatever and we had we had made a bunch of songs together out with Ian McKee shout out to Ian but I remember having those conversations with Beejus and then once the the artwork dropped I was like yo this is going to be crazy and then the album came out and it was it it's him it's the music he wants to make and that's my brother for life and it's like it just it made me so proud of what it could mean just sticking to your guns mm -hmm. and how that can connect. And so I said, saying all that to say, the power is in doing you and like staying committed to your vision, but this industry and the world more so isn't really set up that way. So you gotta really, really fight to protect your, the shit that, that moves you, I guess. And that's what we're fighting for every day. So I'm, I'm grateful for the people who do consume albums like that and just let it be and got it just just took the time to sit with it and, and and were kind enough to reach out reshare it repost it and quote lines from it. and it's like yo because some of the lines people quote i'm such a whole fan that the goal is to never waste the bar right so i'll put a line here but this line stands out so i'm like yo they're not gonna get this one and people were reposting those type of lines that mean the world and i'm like yo that mean that really means the world you know so it's it's, it's been it's been good Man, yeah, shout out to Beatus. That album is so vulnerable and powerful, Fuck. but so him. Like it's him. You know, <sighs> that's what was so dope. It's like mm -hmm. he's doing all the shit that Beatus would say in a conversation, being real vulnerable and real descriptive, and it bangs at the same time. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's and still, it's, 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 it's still hyphy. The, the, yes. Yeah, the music is hella ignorant and hyphy, <laughs> but he's just so thoughtful yeah. and articulate. And you're like, bro, how did you do this? I, I was so proud of him. I told him that too. And the Bay in general, I'm just proud. It has that Atlanta feel to me, where it's so diverse. LA, same way, Chicago, same way. This mad diverse, you can get anything you need in this particular region right now, so. And you did that on this album. First, I wanna talk about the bars, like not wasting a bar. When I was going through the album again this past week, trying to be like, okay, what are we gonna talk about on the podcast? Mm. I'm like, we could literally go every song bar <laughs> for bar. So I had to like pick out certain bars. We could literally go through Damn, the whole man, thing. That, like That means so much, man. Like you're talking about not wasting a bar, like you didn't, it's nuts. And and then yeah back to the whole bay area just being incredible you really showcase this on this album yeah. in a way that was not overpowering and there were songs that you did by yourself but just the people that you teamed up with yeah. like i said just so intentional i know you heard these people and you had been waiting to work with certain people it's just a beautiful culmination yeah. of the bay area and and not only who you are but who your friends are and who you look up to and yeah. you just get it and it's great <laughs> oh man we cannot get into the track listing without talking about the album artwork. Yeah. We have talked about that Steven briefly. Anderson. Yes. <laughs> I've asked you this before, but I want it on the podcast. Mm. What did you tell him to have him come up with that beautiful illustration? Steven's amazing because he's one of the like unsung heroes of early barrier hip hop too. And he's just so humble. And so I called Sal, cause Sal's creative director of the whole album. Sal and Freak Freak, like executive producer, not just from a like support and like resources standpoint, but like from ideas. Freak and I would take like hour long car rides and talk about concepts and ideas. And I don't know if he knew it at the time, but that was all like recon and research for the album. So I leaned on both Sal and Freak so much. So like one of the rare nights during the creation of this process, I wasn't, cause during this whole album, I was either with Freak, Sal or Iman, like literally. And the rare one night where I wasn't with neither one of them, I went out to a the dinner meeting, a late dinner meeting at that. And for whatever reason, mid meeting, I had this idea for the artwork and just left. It was like, thank y'all, I'm about to go home. <laughs> 
mind you, little high, too much THC, and was like on the cusp of like freaking out. Yeah. So, but I was like, I've I've gotten better at like not panicking and just like removing myself. So I proceeded to get the longest lift ride ever to get home, and in the car, fighting a borderline panic attack. This artwork is coming to me so vividly, and if you look at it. There's a wood panel, there's a floor model TV, there's a particular TV on the kid's head, there's artwork, there's a particular couch, a particular plant. Those are the four living rooms I grew up in combined into one. So my dad, my mom and dad, the one house they had together, my grandfather, my grandmother, my, my paternal grandmother, and my godparents. Mm. Those were the rooms I consumed the most entertainment in. This is what I wanna do. And the TV head concept just came from like, some Radiohead shit, like it was a spinoff of that. And I called Sal and I was like, yo, this is what I want the cover art to be. He's like, I'm gonna call Steven. And yeah. he, he literally called Steven that night. Steven came to my sister's apartment two days later. And the weird thing about artists is like, you always wanna do your best not to overstep. Mm -hmm. But what I keep finding, like the higher I climb, the dope people don't have no ego. Like they're the best, you special, you're one of the best collaborators I've seen. Mm -hmm it's indicative of success. I do believe that, right? So Steven's like, nah, tell me your idea. And he's looking at me in my face and drawing, but he's looking at me, he's not looking at his iPad. He's looking me in my face while I'm explaining this to him. And it's like the weirdest shit ever. And he goes, oh, like this. I'm like, bro, you gotta stop. <laughs> and that honestly was the best moment of it for me because I spent so many years having a compromise of vision, either for lack of resources or just lack of knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. So you compromise something because you either don't know what the hell you're doing or you don't have the money to pull it off. And this was the first time where I felt like it wasn't no compromise. Mm -hmm. I'm talking like from the artwork, to visually, to how we presented it, everything was just like, just falling into place. And for this, for Steven to pull up and go, oh, you mean like this? Yeah. It was like, bro, like after that, I really wasn't tripping off much i felt like i had won like i it honestly felt like getting a grammy when he was showing me that artwork because usually like when you're trying to at least for me there's always some sort of disconnect in between explaining and someone receiving the information and trying to execute your vision for you he nailed it and that's all it was was just like sitting down telling him specifics he's like yo you want what you want to look like well the wood pen the whole wall is wood paneling he's like i right, bet is it earth tones like yeah it's definitely earth tones and he was like bet like this like nah invert this bet and it was doing it quick yeah. and it's like yeah i'll send it to you in a couple of days and sent it in a couple of days not only is he crazy talented but i think you would have to argue that you're learning how to better articulate yourself facts. and and, and better fact. describe things and yeah. you know what i mean even having Communi community communication in general is yeah. getting better yeah, yeah and just having crazy visions mm -hmm. you know what i mean because now there's no limit to what you can do yeah. so your brain is expanding and it's crazy <laughs> and it's just it's nuts but i think that that's so inspiring too because i think anybody on a creative journey reaches that point where it's like I can't execute what I want to ex execute. Yeah, like exactly. I have to compromise. And just knowing that if you keep at it, you're gonna find resources and find people and be able to articulate things. Like if you keep going, it gets better and it'll fucking blow your mind. Yep. Like, <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Now we just get into the album. You. It comes in so powerful Damn. and you have to listen with like multiple speakers because mm. it's just like surround it sound. Is, it is surround sound. <laughs> you just take in there. And the first words you hear are, the world owes you nothing, kill your entitlement. Yep. 
I said the whole album was built around that thesis statement. I don't know if anyone would believe me, but it was. Mm-hmm. Again, just like not wanting to compromise nothing. Struggling with my own entitlement. Again, this isn't pointing a finger that nobody like hip hop did. None of that. No, this is this is me taking accountability for how I've maneuvered through space. And I was struggling with my own entitlement and like thinking, really thinking the world owed you something or people owed you something. And the freedom is really all in like just dedication and it's discipline. And I literally was just discovering that shit, like in the process of making it. That's what inspired the album. I wanted to say that so bad. I wanted it to be that, but I didn't want it to land crazy. So I remember telling, I told Iman like, yo, you got to do the intro. And I want it to be this, these words. She's like, I bet like she just kind of like like she didn't dismiss it but she was just like all right bet and just just moved on about something else and then I was like man forget it I'm gonna just do it myself (laughs) and went to the studio and was cutting the song in general Mm -hmm. I've been taking vocal lessons and everything too so I was like I'm gonna just sing it myself This demo version of that is so bad. And no one, the only person that had the heart to like say it, but not not in a mean way, was Iman. She was like, yo, I'm going to re-record those. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I wasn't even offended. I was like, thank you, God. Because I I literally couldn't listen to that song because of my scratch vocals on that demo. I could never listen to it. It was the hardest song. And I was so proud to have a Doug Infinite beat. But I couldn't play it for nobody because the freaking reference hook was so trash. And she was the only person to be like, nah, fam, I'm, I got you. I'm about to redo that. And so she recut it. I remember sitting in the studio where we cut that in L.A. That and Made It Work got cut the same weekend. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting in the studio and look at Freak looked at me. He was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And I said, oh, my God. And then the engineer looked back at us, was like, oh, my God. Like, yes. she was warming up, too. Like, she wasn't even singing. She was, like, warming up. And everybody in the room was like, get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what this is about to be? Mm-hmm. Yo, magic, pure magic. Basically, that's how you peer pressure a singer. You'd be like, hey, can you do this? And, and they're just like, do it terrible. And they're like, hey, you do it terrible. <laughs> like, oh, shit, I got to save this. <laughs> That's and I and and subconsciously I th- I think that's why I did it. it. Was like you know what if you ain't gonna do I'm gonna you gonna make you do it. And she heard that shit was like, Ooh, okay. I love her so much. Oh, so talented. But you mentioned something that I didn't know that's super fascinating to me. Mm. You've been taking vocal lessons. Yeah. That's so dope. It started off with just breath control. I don't know how much people know, but a lot of the outside of my own music a lot of the music i produce and get commissioned for placements for is all r&b shit and i have to send reference vocals anyway and it's the most painful process because they're like if you just send the lyrics the beats and the time like people's time signatures are just all so different so you have to send reference vocals and so the last like year i've gotten comfortable like not even tripping like i don't care who in the studio like i'm gonna send these vocals and y'all figure it out but at least you get the timing down and do you know the last few songs I sent out, they were like, yo, we just gonna keep your backing vocals. I'm like, no, you not. Yes. That shit sounds crazy. Like, nah, it's perfect. It's like, it's like this. Uh, I'm like, nah, y'all are bugging. That shit sounds nuts. And then I watched this Pharrell interview where he was talking about 
he initially didn't want to be a singer or on the songs at all. He was sending out reference vocals, and they were like, nah, we just going to keep your hook. And it, it was the, um, the Shake It Fast song. He sent that because he had this, in Pharrell fashion, was like, I want the Temptations on this shit, but that, this is how I want him to sing it. Yes. And the label kept his vocals. He's like, yo, what are y'all doing? I think Mystical was signed to Jive, maybe? Yeah, I think they had a deal with Jive for Mystical. And they were like, no, nah, we're just going to keep your vocals. We're not getting the Temptations. Like, that's crazy. And <laughs> and and I was like, people, why would people ever do that? It's like, that's never going to happen to me. And then I was like, a month later, they were like, yeah, we're just going to keep your vocals on here. And they're like, what? Yeah. Why would you do that? And I was like, well, if this is going to keep happening, I'm going to take vocal lessons. And I've always wanted to, like, sing anyway. And, like, kind of do it playing and, like, all hella off key and in this other world. But then, like, once you, like, start learning techniques, again, it was just for breathing. And it just opened up another world. So Attention, all you players and pimps. <laughs> right now in the place. Could you imagine a temptation like, singing what? that? <laughs> I just, the words like mystical and temptation are the same that sentence. Been, and, I, and that's why I fuck with Pharrell because his crazy ass was like mystical and the temptations? No bounds. <laughs> Zero. No, none at all. Oh, man. Then we get to made it work. Damn, I guess that I'm not rich to it all. Backpackers to the trappers, niggas feelings involved. Won't dim my light, we see no ceilings at all. I do these rappers eulogy, they put my name in the song. Calling me conscious where dumb niggas went wrong. She pussy popping after Sunday service. Freak, we got them nervous. I've always known my purpose. They hate me now, I feel like puffing, hardly scratch the surface. I know my God is working. Still, I kick this bitch to overdrive. Me and Pilo, KD, and Stefan. We're going to learn a bunch of stories today but so far that's my favorite story which part though because it's like go okay yeah you. the part of just going down to la basically cornering pilo and being like i want you on this album yeah. what do you have yeah which is my interpretation of the story <laughs> that's how it went but i was such in a space where i was like man i want people to, to hear me and it seems like only a particular sound cuts through so i went to p trying to get his like the shit he give everybody else mm -hmm. And that, he looked at me, he's like, bro, you bugging. No, it's not it. He's like, I know what you need. Like, I know. And it wasn't this process where he played hella shit. He was like, nope, it's this one. And went straight to that and was like, this is the bounce. This is the cadence. Do it like this. And I was like, yo. And I was, it was such a proud moment because that's been little bro forever. Yes. We played high school ball together. He was my sophomore on the team I was at when I was a senior. That was my little man. Like him and his whole team, him, JR, like the way they work is the most inspiring shit ever because they fully moved their operation down to LA and haven't been consumed by the party bug. Like them motherfuckers get up and work every day. And it was the most inspiring shit. So his assertiveness in the studio was more so to what, what made that song special to me. Cause I went on some goofy shit trying to get a particular sound. He was like, hell no, take this, do it like this and get the fuck out of here. Like that's how, that's literally how it went. And I called Freak and I was like, bro, this is the best decision. Cause I almost left LA. I went down that weekend and was like, yo, LA's bugged the fuck out. But I was in Hollywood and God bless Iman. She was like, that's where you fucked up at. You getting LA confused for Hollywood. That's not the same. And those little words of encouragement changed everything. And had I not stayed, that extra <laughs> it went from i'm supposed to be down there a couple of days i was down there for almost three weeks had she not said that i would have left there was too much like i was just like yo hollywood is I, I kept calling hollywood la mm -hmm. 
and that shit was just bugging me the fuck out. And she's like, nah, that's not the same. So got me hella far away from Hollywood and was fucking around everywhere else. And it was like, oh, this feels this feels like normal living over on this side. So Especially with the circle she keeps. Her circle is incredible. Yeah, yeah, that, just yeah. talented people. Yeah. It's crazy. And I did want to preface that to him. Like, it made you sound like you cornered him, but just the way you retold that story, mm-hmm. like he knows you so well and yep. he knows what you should sound like yep. and what you should be on. Man, and I, that, I, so man. great was so grateful for that exchange he just because i did corner him i was pressed i was super pressed i want i want this i want that he's like relax fam yeah. <laughs> just so so cool about it and it was like don't you record yourself all right i'm leaving yeah. <laughs> it was so dope it was like nope do it like this and then he'd be in the door he'd come back in uh-uh do it this way and then go back outside i was like what the it was a bugged out experience yes. yeah oh, i love it so much and then it's got the E40 quote on it. So important. Yeah. I'm like trying to figure out how I want to ask this question because it's like, I completely understand why you put it there, mm-hmm. but. But it's like, why still? Well, it's just like, when, okay, I guess the question is like, when did that click and was it like. Immediately. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, I want y'all to know that special really cracked herself up this now. But you laughed too. And so no, because it, okay. it was good. No, no, it was good. That is a good one. You know? <laughs> rat puns there's not enough of them that almost snowballed into a, a big pun pun and big pun. you on a roll Get i it. am don't Get don't it. let me do this the podcast has just took on a whole new thing anyways so you said it clicked immediately because that was from the documentary that they did on the bay area right mm-hmm, the vice vice land right or noisy they had 40 and they had uh and they had nef 40 nef and g easy mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. was it you made the song and knew that that quote went there. Did you revisit it? Yeah, like, did you have the quote for a while? No, when that dropped, that might be almost a year and a half, two years old. That special is fairly old. That was like, like right when Neff was popping. And I remember 40 talking and I remember going, I'm going to use that one day. And we start doing a song. I did the verse. Or no, we might have did the hook first. Did the hook first and then did the verse. And then P was like, damn, either we get a sing like an actual singer for the bridge or we go ahead and insert a clip of some sort. He said, if we use a clip, we should use a 40 clip. And I was like, I got the perfect one. Cause for like, if you go on Pilo studio, he's got a big ass picture of Unk and of E40 in there. And it's everybody's like guru. Like at least it should be just for success and, and longevity and, and growth and evolution as a man. Independence. Like independence, like it's 40 everything with Pilo. And it's, it's hella genuine, you know what I'm saying? Cause 40 hella opened his arms to pee. And I feel the same way about 40. And when he said it, I knew I had it. And he was like, bro, how long you been sitting on this? I was like, I knew when I watched the doc that day, I wanted to use that quote, you know? And and it, it made sense for that song because it is about our independence and being from Richmond specifically and what independence looks like specifically for us, whether it be out the trunk, whether it be small mom and pops, whether it just black ownership from the ground up. And it's so funny. 10,000 Tacos, what's his name? Isidro. Isidro was talking about it. He's like, man, my dad would never identify as no entrepreneur. That shit blew my mind when he said that yesterday. But that's what that song is all about. Like in the midst of us making it work, we're pulling off some of the most extraordinary shit that we don't get to celebrate because we're just trying to get to the next day. And Made It Work is literally all about that. But again, with the gangster rap concept, that messaging is hidden in 
bravado. Mm -hmm. So the whole song is bravado, but if you're really listening, you can hear, it's almost like a Negro spiritual. And so it makes me so happy to people that resonates with like that, because that's all it was. It's like, literally, we do some miraculous shit every day. Let me highlight the people that do some miraculous shit that have that have supported me in trying to do something miraculous, and let's take this moment to not acknowledge it, and then let's get back to work, basically, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, now the real grind. Now my favorite. Uh-oh. I don't know if you know that this is my favorite. I think uh, I mentioned it like? before. Yes. Really? Yes. What? Fuck what they told you. All I got is my pride. One LCC under God. The devil is a lie. A billion to one was our odds. Slick Rick drip, nigga. No neckties. Shiny suit theory. Martyrs in disguise. Build or destroy. Cranes in the sky. I'm on a moon. Once in a blue one. Dream up high cool. For the amusement, some light, some light, in the darkness, some light, I'm on the moon, what's in a blue one, she be confused. I had this whole realization with it, because it was my favorite from the jump. Mm -hmm. I'm super big. You know big. what, I do remember you saying that in mm -hmm. the beginning, I do, I do. Because I'm a super big YMCK fan. Shout I think, out Murph. Man, he's so, so talented. Mm -hmm. It's crazy because it came full circle when I was listening to your podcast and you guys were talking about Kanye and Can't Tell Me Nothing. Mm. And I have to preface this by saying, people just have to accept that we're not gonna let go of the Kanye songs that we love. Yeah. And I also have to preface it by saying, I try to stray away from comparing artists and comparing songs and all that stuff because it gets ugly and weird and most of the time it's not necessary. Yeah. But sometimes it hits so hard that you have to. So you guys were talking about Can't Tell Me Nothing. Can't Tell Me Nothing has been my favorite song forever. Same. My next tattoo is, <laughs> and I've had this tattoo picked out forever, I just haven't done it, but I'm really gonna get to whom much is given, much is tested. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that whole story later. <laughs> but I just love that song. And because I'm weird and I really enjoy kind of like sacrilegious stuff because I think it's just so polarizing and so- Damn, that's crazy, I'm the same way. Yeah, yeah. like it, it's, it gives off a certain thing that you just don't get all the time and yep. it, yeah, it's just kind of brave and reckless and ridiculous, <laughs> but I love it. Brave, reckless, and ridiculous, I love that. Yes. Yeah. So when I listen to Light, I'm like, it has that same vibe to it to where it's reckless, yet reflective and still braggadocious but you can tell that the person saying all this braggadocious stuff in the back of their mind they're still kind of hesitant about it but it's still kind of like oh yeah it's whatever because yeah. it's some light i just absolutely love it what was it like making that one that one was special because i reached out to Mur or murph and that's what's happening with the bay too there's the whole Pinot group of us that are family no matter what happens. Like, even when shit gets weird, we're bound to each other beyond shit. Ain't no escaping that. But outside of that, the cats who grew up in the town, who grew up in Berkeley, who grew up in Vallejo, Sac, there's these degrees of separation that you go, that's your cousin? That's my cousin. That's, wait, 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 what? And so Murph came to one of my shows with my cousin's best friend who's like a cousin. I call him a cousin. And it was like, that's my cousin. It was like, wait, what? And Murph and I had ex several exchanges, but never for real. 
And I was like, bro, I'm just a big ass fan. He was like, yo, that, and it was our Black Milk show. That's what it was. And burn that shit down that night. Mm-hmm. So we had already been talking about stuff. Murph is by all means one of the hardest working people you'll ever meet. Again, he not in LA just fucking off. He's working. So when he comes home, he's like, yo, I just want to unplug. And I caught him the day he landed and was like, bro, I know you came home to rest. Will you please come to the studio? And Murph is such a great communicator that he's like, Monty, I just came home to kick it and the rest. But because it's you, I'll be there. And I was like, oh, my God, now I feel bad. (laughs) Like I should cancel. But once he got there, Zenon was there and they're connected. So it was like this big ass reunion of just people that were connected and there's just good energy. And Murph, Murph is natural, good energy. And I explained it to him. It was like, yo, it's the contrast I gave him was push it and dream. Like when they get together, it's that. It's almost sacrilegious. Like this shouldn't work. But for whatever reason, when them two get together, they make some shit. Zenon played me that beat on tour three months prior. I just sat on it and I knew, again, everything was intentional. It's like I wasn't going to compromise on nothing. So if it was Murph, it was going to be Murph. And he showed up and I explained it to him the process. Maybe I kicked him the first first and he was like, bet, I think I got something. And he went in there and he don't write. And he went in there and, and thugged his way through that. And his light came. And that's what that's literally what it is like in all this dark in all this all my flaws and everything there's still some light in just this display of my efforts this is regular like it's it's the ultimate flex mm. while saying something though i'm so glad it's your favorite song because it's my favorite yes. song too yes. <laughs> it's my favorite song too just i think the like yeah. oh and, yeah some light yeah. but it's like in the darkness mm. some light <sighs> Goodness gracious. And he didn't write that. No, what he the just hell? went there, buddy. That alien mumble shit that him, Raj, Kevin Allen, uh, Sue, like that I've had the privilege to see and mm-hmm. witness, right? So I've been in the room for uh, Jayant, Iman. They do this alien sort of channeling God type shit. <laughs> and they go in there and they just mumble. And then next thing you know, it's the hardest bar. And you're like, bro, what the, what is going on? You know, and it really makes you like partial to their efforts. It's some of the most beautiful shit because they like, by all means, if Raj wrote a book, it'd be the most thoughtful, reflective thing ever. But when you go watch him in the studio, the things that he's pulling out of the air to make these great linear stories, you go, oh, he's definitely writing those raps. No, he's not. Father Figure 3, I seen it, y'all. This nigga's just channeling. He's he's somewhere else. Them type of niggas we need to protect, for real. Oh <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Go check out Father Figure 3 you if you me? haven't. That man is nuts. <laughs> this one, I feel like, was the most fun for you. End game. Black excellence. Uh, uh, uh. Black exploitation. Uh. Legend has it the quiet boy turned to savage. Got his first taste of blood, and now we can't be managed. One and done's run it up, total the damage. Brooklyn Arada. I am Sue. <laughs> Kevin Allen. No hook. Straight bars. Incredible dropouts. Just. Oh, what it's flow y'all can blame flow for that one yes flow sent a pack and i think he was feeling away too because he like flow was mad busy like they're moving they're doing all kind of stuff and so he was just like distant from the process and especially the last few projects have been majority him so it's like fam like what the fuck make an effort to tap in it wasn't not wanting to tap in because if i could do every album with flow at the center of it i would but i knew he was busy and was like trying to give space and so he sent a pack and everything in it was fire 
And I was like, damn. But that beat was the last thing I played. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> we had a bunch of music, but we didn't have nothing like that. And a part of the process was aligning people that normally wouldn't be in alignment for this record. Mm -hmm. So if it's Sue, put him on a flow beat. If it's Murph, put him on a Xenon beat. If it's Neil to give, put him. If it's Ryan Nicole, put her on. It like just move people around where they normally probably wouldn't occupy that space and watch what happens. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to do that, but Sue was getting ready to go back to Atlanta. And I think Irk may have just gotten back from Africa. Nah, he was around, Kev was around, but no studios were open. And last minute I was like, SK might be able to get me in. He's like, Monty, I got an hour and a half break in between sessions. Can y'all do it? Yeah. Yes. No, but wait, I hadn't written nothing. <laughs> Maybe I sent them the beat, but I know how they work. Sue wasn't gonna write, mm. and Kevin don't write. So sending them the beat was almost pointless because the niggas wasn't going to write. Yeah. So we all get to this space and SK's like, okay, y'all got an hour and a half. I went in first and then they looked at me like, oh, this is what we doing? <laughs> and so Sue was like rapping his verse to me and I'm like, yo, this is about to be nuts. And then I could see Kevin sitting in the corner like mugging us a little, <laughs> a little bit. And then he rapped me his verse and I was like, what just happened? Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, Sue goes in, Kevin goes in. SK is like does like a light mix on the song. It's like that's it. It's like that's it. He's like, bro, that was only forty minutes. Oh my god. He's like, money. I can't even. I can't even take your money of sound. I was like, nah, I gotta pay you. He's like, y'all had an hour and a half, and we done already. Most of that session was kicking it. Mike Smith was in there. Freak was in there. Sue, Kevin, me, Basta. And that energy was crazy. And I love working with SK. SK is like, SK and Vinny, some of my favorite engineers to work with. So that was special. And then I was so proud to send it back to Flo because I know, like, that's why me and Flo get along. So, because our, our sensibilities and like, that's like my brother. Like, I really know what he like and what he don't fuck with. And so I was like, oh, he gonna love this. Yeah. <laughs> so I was so happy to send that shit to him. I don't even think I left the studio before I sent it back to him. And he was like, what the fuck? And everybody just geeked out on it. Yeah. It's just so gritty and you guys got gritty at it. Oh. Hey, this is what it called for. It's so funny because Sue and I grew up ciphering, but also looking up to Kevin Allen, formerly Eric the Jerk. So it was like this for me. I don't know if the guys think about it like this, but I think of it as this like special moment for the city, like for our city, because we all represent something so different. And we all stepped into a world that kind of is on the cusp of each other's and perform so well. And so it really is a display of like the versatility. Cause it's like at, at the drop of a hat, don't ever get it fucked up. Sue will outwrap any nigga you, you, you put in front of him. Same thing with Kevin Allen. And I say the same thing about the likes of a Raj or whomever may be on something more melodic and modern. Don't get it fucked up, bro. We'll hit a falsetto and then bar you to death in the same breath. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, that shit really means the world to know people that versatile. Yeah, it only makes you better. Cause it's like, oh shit, he did what? Like, <laughs> oh, I gotta do something now. Man. Then we get to strangers. Ooh. Fuck no. Nah. Don't put the fame before the money. I know the algorithm got you confused. Pay your dues, your time is coming. They can't hate it, they don't love me. Look, I represent the end of they run. No more posing, you're done. Three albums stashed in the tuck. No, they not fucking with us. Hey, what I tell you, flow. Grab track and see mercy me until my casket closed. They couldn't mob in my zap toes. Not from my case, so rapid dope. Yo, 
So I keep seeing in the credits Anthony Broussard. Soundtrack. Oh, see, I had a feeling, but yeah. I'm like, I have to ask. Sorry, yeah. bro. I didn't mean to do you like that. <laughs> put I, that government out I, there. You go on title, you hit credits. That's what you get. So sorry. <laughs> so Strangers. One of the early records, too. One of the ones that started, started it for real. Mm. Yeah. It's like three songs that made either on tour or right after tour. And Strangers is one of the first records I got cut. Yeah, I talked to them a little bit about making this album with you and how you guys were like channeling Rick Ross and just really getting into a space yeah. that was just crazy. But like I said before, just super intentional. Mm -hmm. And then you just took it to another place with the concept and the theatrics and all of that. I want to start with, I'm really into letters. I think a lot of artists write letters within their songs. Yep. And you said, I know the algorithm got you confused. Pay your dues. Your time is coming. That's to me. That's what I thought. That's but I had to, to make sure. Yeah, it's to me. It's just <laughs> like you can cook it like they're streaming farms. And we know they're streaming farms. They're bots for a reason, you know. And so I'm looking at these people do these insane numbers. And some of them are earning them. Like, let's not everybody ain't getting hit by bots. But some of this shit is like not adding up. And I had just come off the Tommy Hilfiger campaign where they ponied up a lot of money for a particular face of that advertisement. And because of the numbers that person possessed on their social, and this is a musician we're talking about too, that didn't own the rights to their music. So they commissioned me to do the music, but refused to give me a proper credit as a means not to disrespect the person that was the face of it. And their reasoning was because my following weren't, wasn't high enough. And I was so confused by that because once that video went public, mm -hmm. everybody from the Bay, from P, Raj, every, all the people who have the numbers that they would have been looking for, either shared it, reposted, or engaged with it. And made so, sure to tag you. All y'all did, everybody did. That was did. such an important thing. And yeah. it's interesting because I applaud people who actually will send a text message and be like, hey, can you do this? Yeah. I applaud that because yeah. that takes a lot of guts and just formulaic. But the fact that everybody tagged you in it without you didn't have to put an announcement out you didn't have to say I didn't even anything know it was, the crazy part is i didn't even know it was out not being tagged in it i missed like the first half of that cycle it was out which is like terrifying but also worked in my favor like my phone just started going off i was like what the hell is going on and like bro why you didn't say nothing niggas like i didn't know it was even coming out i was not part, a part of that process but what it did is it really showed the power of the micro influencer mm -hmm. and the, shout out to the agency shout out to sakai ryan and sakai like they were so supportive in the process and like making sure i got my due on the back end because they got to see like this crazy experiment where the machine is going, he ain't got enough of this, not accounting for the quality of people that I'm tapped into. And that just speaks to the community debate because everybody, like all y'all, like all my friends worth a damn, commented and engaged with it. So then they had to go see, why does he know all these people? What, wait, what's going on? And then it gave me a whole different level of leverage to negotiate with. It was a really beautiful moment and pay your dues, your time is coming. It's so hard not to be wrapped up into the numbers, but I have to literally have to wake up every day and remind myself to be disciplined and just do the work. Mm -hmm. Do the work, do the work, do the work. It won't be in vain. Mm -hmm. And I tell, I tell myself that every day. So strangers is literally, like I'm talking to myself on that whole song. <laughs> Well, that makes it interesting too because my other quote is i lose me if i don't let you go that was to you or yeah. to somebody else me whoa, 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 whoa. that's ridiculously yeah. deep what does that mean to you what part of yourself are you talking just that, to the, again that whatever that is that make you just take yourself so serious and like overthink and second guess like our god-given gift 
is our instincts and our sensibilities. And I, I've worked so hard to develop a fly ass palette. I know what I know. I like what I like. And to go against that is just silly. And I lose me if I don't let me go. Like I got I gotta let go. Like let go. And and so it within the concept of this gangster rap album is this crazy ass bravado and this crazy ass character where Nigga, if you don't believe it, I'm not gonna believe it. So stop, don't be up here not confident, insecure and shit. Like if you're gonna be in your bag, like get all the way in your bag and deliver this so that I fuck with it. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the bravado in that in the album is that. It's like, nigga, have fun. And Strangers is one of my favorites because it's from the singing, the, again, the bravado, the performance, like it's it's super duper. Like it almost reminds me of um, volume one, Hove's A Million, A Million and One, A Million, that, that him and Primo. That's what that song reminds me of. That's what it felt like when I heard the beat. And I told Track that and he was like, get in that bag then, and I, and I went. And then the breakdown at the end. That's Track. Man, that's he track. killed that. I did, and that, again, that's another one of the moments where you're like, mm -mm, that ain't it. So I did one myself, but I didn't have the stems. And he was like, ooh, that ain't gonna work. <laughs> but I got something and he went and he flipped that and sent it back and I was like, ooh, this is spooky. You know what I'm saying? It was, that's one of my favorite moments and one of my favorite sessions because that happened at the end. Mm. So we had a version of the song the whole time that nobody liked the ending of it and track was the only gonna be like, that ain't gonna work, G. So <laughs> he was like, I'm gonna be at them sessions. So we start, we got in the mixing sessions at Airship in Richmond and he came in with the stems and opened it up and made that ending one of the last days that we were working on the album and it became one of my favorite records again. Cause again, it was like, I can't listen all the way through the demo because or something wrong, you know? Oh, man. And then Noble with Supreme. <laughs> My clarity's got him shook. Bet they throw me the book. But they'll never mistake us for no halfway crooks. Told Empires in the wire and some shares, man. Look, I'm overcharging for what the mob did to Sam Cook. Wasn't even surprised. Calling the status quo. Trapping the going pro, trying my hand at both. That's my blood in the water, need them fresh off the boat. Reparations for the faithless bitch, what else you wanna know? No 444 without money, cash holes, blame 45, I'm activating double. So on the title version, this would be his second appearance, but on the Bandcamp version, this is his third appearance. Wait, how um, does that work? So the only record we couldn't get through oh. the uh, through the distribution site was track two. I'm like, I feel like I've heard it, but I have, no, you, you I have been it. listening yeah. to it on Tidal yeah. for like ever. Fear of Love is Doug Infinite. Happy birthday to the legend. He got a crazy shout out from Kanye. Like that was so dope seeing that. Cause it's mm -hmm. like, we all know Doug as a legend, but he's a legend and an OG to somebody we all look up to. A couple people we all look up to. Not just not just Ye, but no idea and all of them to like that Chicago shit is deep and Doug Inf is at the core of it. But Doug and Ivan did Fear Love. Or no, Doug and Noble. Sorry, Ivan. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, many governments out here. You know, Doug and Noble did Fear Love and then you see Noble again on Supreme. And that was, again, just conversation and sharing space. Like, Noble has really become one of my really, really great friends. And mm -hmm. we were just having a conversation. And he was like, what's missing from the album? And I told him, oh, that's spooky. So you reference Can't Tell Me Nothing mm -hmm. for some, for light. I told him I'm missing something spooky, like Can't Tell Me Nothing. And he sent Supreme. Yep. That symbol in there, tss, mm -hmm. tss, that's that, that's that. And ode to that. And we got really in a real spooky bag. I was so proud when I sent them that record back too. Me and Vinnie Bills and Kate Lamont. That's what I was going to ask too. 
not only is it dark and rugged that's how i describe it but there is multiple vocals and i'm mm. like who are all these people yeah. like oh, okay gotcha yeah, no, it's me me and kate layered hella times and then vinnie vinnie bell's producer artist is one of the better engineers and creators like he can take some basic shit and make it sound incredible so that was it was really fun a fun session so good <laughs> nothing at all Wanna hear what you know? Tell me what can you prove? My hero sold this out for some motherfucking shoes. No value in the truth. Kate Lamont again, incredible. <laughs> Introduce us to Brian Simmons. Damn. So we grew up in church together. Mm. Vallejo boy too. It's so crazy because like I, when I moved back, I was spending so much time with my grandparents and my grandma. Like initially, they weren't fucking with the whole music thing, but then once she saw like I wasn't playing, like. Uh, we had to take my grandfather to dialysis three times a week. So I'd be in the dialysis center making beats for, and that's just like a four hour process. So yeah, I make like 20 beats each session, you know? So as she saw how serious I was getting, she was like, yo, remember Brian from church? It's like, yeah, uh, he's in Dubai. And I'm like, what? Whoa. And so Brian's all over Last Marauder. Like a lot of that shit, I'd, I would hum melodies into the voice memo and send it to Brian. He'd send keys back. And so that's how we made like the demos for Last Marauder. Then when he moved back, we had all these plans to do hella shit together. Mind you, he's coming from playing every night in Dubai where he getting bread. He don't have time for this struggle and rap shit. And so like he fucked with me for a minute. I wasn't getting booked like that. And then uh, Fantastic Negrito found him. And Negrito and his camp is so dope. Like they really give musicians a chance. Like if you're going to perform, you're going to perform. And I always knew that B was so special. If he got his foot in the door, it wasn't going to be no looking back for him. So once Negrito found Brian, the last two albums, Brian has been on the road with Negrito, him, Miggy, Darren, like they just been hitting the road. And it's hard to do a record without B on it now, you know? So he came to the studio with Z, with track and just played for hours. And then Z is such a fucking genius, took that shit and chopped it. It sounds like it's a sample in it, cause it is, but it ain't, it's an original sample. So it's like, we we really are have been into that, like, like jamming and then cut chopping up the jams to make it our own shit. So we can still get the feel of the chop, but Z chops are just, he nobody chops like Z. Um, He's got a completely different bop. And so that's why nothing at all sounds like that mm -hmm. between Z and Brian together. But B Simmons is world-renowned keyboardist, producer, writer, and, and one of my really good friends. The line that sticks out to me on that one is, I'm going to use the edited version. My hero <laughs> sold this out for a pair of shoes. Yeah. Can we ask who? Yay. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, Michael Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't deal in regrets. Uh, that's one line I I, it, I cringe every time I hear it. Wow. Um, that's the only thing I would do different from the album. I would have not said that. Why? It's not a factual statement. It's really ignorant, too. Now, understanding what resources can do for the advancement of people of color and what it's like to, to navigate those spaces, that was so unfair to that black man to say that. It, it stands now, but if I, you know, and not that yay would ever hear it, but if he 
did, I wouldn't have any problem apologizing and having a, a discussion on where my mind was then and how I was feeling and how much he means to me in the creative sense. I just didn't have enough information before I said that. And, and that makes it, that's what makes it hard. Like had I had the information and still said it, I'd be able to live with it. But I didn't have no information when I said it. I was acting off of emotions but again it fits in the concept because when you're young you do silly shit like act off of emotion without information you know so <laughs> ah, i love the honesty <laughs> some people wouldn't be that honest nah it, it seems like the only thing to do at this point you know like it's all i got sure. and then is that your dad's voicemail at the end yep nice and that was scripted too mm. um again it's while there's theater and stuff the real elements are real. So I'm reading the Prince memoir right now, full disclosure. I literally got emotional when he was talking about being seven when his parents divorced. But like his relationship with his dad was so fucking competitive. Mm -hmm. His dad was a musician, could play the shit out of the piano and sing and write music. He's like, I want to be better than him, but he won't let me touch his piano. Like what the, f like me and my dad's relationship was the same way. Mm -hmm. In Prince's memoir, he goes, I'm so happy to see him leave because I'll have space. Mm -hmm but I'm gonna miss him because it's my best friend. Yeah. And that's literally what I went through with my dad. Like the, him and my mom together were so unhealthy. I was so happy that they were getting space from each other. Mm -hmm. But that nigga was like, that's my partner though. Mm -hmm. So it, it hurt, but I was happy that he was gonna have space from, from they were gonna have space from each other. Mm -hmm. And so that part, that's the halfway point of the album. And I went to hoop camp every spring and summer and so I, one of the voicemails I vividly remember, my mom being like, hey, your dad left a message for you. And he's like, hey, asking how camp was. And he's like, I'm gonna pick you up this weekend. Like, I'll never forget that. And it felt like such a real thing to recreate and put in that midst of the album because it's like the one thing that could pull me away from the TV was my dad calling, you know? <laughs> so many levels <laughs> makes me happy. Then we get to Outliers. Yo. Always when I think of outliers, I think of Malcolm Gladwell. Yep and just how incredible he is but also listening to the album on ride with me mm -hmm. you said i promise nana the world wouldn't make me out a liar mm -hmm. thank you <laughs> so like just just playing with the word outlier thank you. thank you i know people are like no way it's that calculated it is sometimes like that line in particular and that line only named outliers it didn't dictate how outliers got written but the line in ride with me dictated the titling of that of outliers right so this need to want to like really fulfill the promise of giving my sisters the world y'all not gonna make me out a liar and you know what i'm saying like it's a play on it but it really is like again we don't get to celebrate some of the special shit we do and it needs to be defined as this, or you don't have access to this, or you never got to experience this. And it's like, but how do you maintain that level of confidence in your abilities through all this shit? And Ride With Me is that, because Ride With Me is like the pinnacle of like insecurity and like battle. That whole song is is, is that shit. But Outliers too just shows how incredible your ear is. The way Anissa Strings sings on that song. <laughs> she was sick too. 
Wow. Yeah. She was like, yeah, I'm a little under the weather. And I was like, if that's what under the weather but sounds like. For real. <laughs> I saw Anissa play at uh, Starlight on the bottom floor in the middle of the club. Normally people play upstairs in a ballroom. No, this place was jam packed to watch her play with like a quartet. And she's this little ass girl with this big ass upright bass body and shit. I literally stood in the middle of the room like, is anybody listening to this? <laughs> and everybody was, but it felt like I was in there by myself. And it's like, man, I'm gonna work with her one day. Mm. And degrees of separation. She from the town for real, for real. So we know some of the same people. And she was like, bro, hit me. Like, if you want me to pull up, just hit me. And I'm like, man, oh no. Hit her, she's like, bro, you tripping. I would have been came to the studio. So she pulled up and I sang her the con like the concept I had. She's like, ah, yeah, that's cute. But I I, <laughs> I, I got something. And she, she flipped it. I wanted it to feel like Curtis Mayfield. I wanted to hear the pain and she went and embodied that shit. The Roy Ayer shit, the My Life, My Life. Like shout out to Doug and, and Noble for that too. Cause uh, RBC Bugsy and I recorded that at the beginning of the TV baby sessions and the hook, Anissa's hook may have been the last thing to get recorded for the album. So it was, that was months apart. But the night doing Bugsy's part, I wanted all the producers there so they could like kind of see which, what each other was doing as the Illmatic sessions, basically. Mm -hmm. Doug and Noble pulled up and heard what everybody was making. They're like, oh, this what's going on? They sent Fear of Love based off hearing Outliers. Wow. Yeah. They got to hear Outliers be recorded and they got to hear the one with, uh, with Cheese. Marked up. Marked up. They got to hear those two be recorded. And so based off those two is what they sent. So... Uh, Outliers is soundtrack marked up as Zenon and then the next day in my email I get Fair Love from Doug and, and Noble <laughs> and I think that's such a good pairing too like you're talking about putting artists with producers they wouldn't necessarily work with and even RBC Bugsy and Anissa Strings but exactly. it works so well and, and it sounds so good and, and you talk to Track and Z about it but the time we spent on tour together me and Freak like we're cousins, but we were raised like brothers. And so our playlists are all over the place. So we got Sada Baby on one minute, then we got some Roots, then we go back to like some Griselda shit. But the thing we mo we played the most was either Ross and Jay. And Soundtrack, well, by the time we got to Vancouver, so mind you, we started in the Bay, made it all the way to Vancouver, Canada. Soundtrack goes, I got it. Like, I know what your next album's supposed to sound like. He literally stopped, he made Freak turn the radio down. And so when we got to, to the Airbnb in Vancouver, it was like his three-story house and everybody's room was on a different level. Mm -hmm. So he came down and he had his laptop. He's like, yo, G, I put this together. I think this is what the next album is. And it was Outliers, Strangers, something like that was from Z. Him and Z had already compiled beats and he put them together at what they should be. And it was like two more. Mm -hmm. And then that night we made Marked Up in Vancouver. It was the spookiest shit. Now we get to the song that I wanted to ask about uh -oh. since I first heard this album. Uh -oh. I need to know what happened when you were making There's Nothing Left For Me. What did it look like? I, I need 
I need everything. Damn. All yes. of it. I, I didn't even think we would talk about that song. That's so, so are crazy. You, are you kidding me? That's so crazy. Um, so Noble, who's one of my favorite producers, and Kate Lamont, who we talked about, we have an album together that's coming out very soon. Yes. And so Noble's parents had this beautiful estate up in wine country, and we went there and recorded this album. And so once we recorded the album, we had these meetings just like trying to fine tune and pick songs and arrange songs and everything. So we met at Kate's house one night in Kate's living room. There's this beautiful piano and the acoustics in the room are incredible. So I turned the metronome on just playing. I even sat down and started playing these chords. And I mind you, I'm taking singing lessons. I think I may have just come from singing practice at day two, which is many. I start singing. There's nothing left for me because I was feeling like that. Like I wanted to get away so bad. And so that shit was just impromptu. And I even turned the phone on and we had a voice memo that just sitting. I woke up out of my sleep one night and was like, I'm gonna put that on the album. And I, Ivan was like, you mind? He was like, no, nah, go for it. I wonder, can we get a little master on it, a little mix like to clean it up a little bit and shout out to Push for making that shit sound like that because he got it to sound clean. And we talked about it at length. Like, I don't know if we should put this on there. And that was the one time I fought everybody. I was like, this is important to my story. I want it on there. And Freak Freak supported me on it. And I wouldn't have it any other way. It's one of the most vulnerable moments ever. But it was it's exactly how I felt. But it was also an ode to that kid that really felt like there was no place for him. What I subscribed to creatively, what my interests were, what my taste like, it there felt. I always felt kind of just like in purgatory, you know. And that's the younger me, and then in the version of me that was making this album too, felt the exact same way. Like being that far apart in age, but having that reoccurring feeling of like, yo, I need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. But it ultimately that's gonna follow you anywhere, you know. You know what I'm saying? So that's why it's placed where it is i feel like it's such a turning point in the album yeah it starts to turn when you get to like supreme mm -hmm. and nothing at all but that's a huge turning point in the album <laughs> it's like whoa and i'm always shocked every time i listen to it because towards the end you hear more people in the room mm. and it's just so vulnerable that i just always imagined you in a room by yourself oh. so when the other people come in you're like i'm like okay, now I need to know exactly who yeah, was there and who yeah. these people are that you could be that vulnerable with. Yeah, Noble playing the piano. It's just he and I initially. Kate's like in the back doing something and she comes out. Kate normally would just hop in, but she just let me have that moment. And then her parents came from the other side of the house and her mom was like, you can do that? <laughs> just looked at me just like so confused because I probably looked sick too. I probably had on something crazy yeah. and just in there belting, like just really singing. So that was a really crazy day. I'll never forget that day. I wanted that story so bad, and <laughs> it completely lived up to what I thought it was. Ah, so good. Now ride with me. Yeah. Am I running out of time? What it look like? 30 with a 30, never good fight. All we ever wanted was a good life. I'm my way to heaven for the chill ride. The devil is alive. I'm talking hindsight. Chasing ghost suicides with the baseline. Lost it all and found forever on the same side. Brian Simmons, Kate Lamont. Yeah. The fucking Spearman brothers. Yo, isn't that crazy? The sound is absolutely incredible. Like the horns, oh my God. The keys, oh my God. What was that one like? 
So again, soundtrack and Zenon are just genius to me. They are. They got a different bop. Like they hear shit different. And Brian was just jamming. Track took that shit and flipped it and made it into that. And I'm just like, yo, what is this? Ride with me got made with made it work oh. and fair love. He sent it to me. I'm in LA because I wasn't there when they made it. And I was like, yo, what the fuck is this? I'm I'm downtown LA dolo my headphones on just mumbling like am i running out of time like that shit just came and that's oh that's how i was feeling like yeah. like this shit's about to be over you turn 30 in a couple weeks my nigga like this shit is it's done it's bad for you like you got to get this shit up and i'm like i'm not about to put this in a song am i and the more i kept mumbling the more these words kept coming to light i'm like bro i can't say this but it's like oh yeah you can because it's how you feel right now and the spearman brothers worked on the album with noble and kate and i and I was like, I want them on this record. And they just have, they would have been on three songs, but they only ended up making two. I cut that record in LA, sent it to the track. He was like, yo. And then I sent it to the Spearman Brothers. They sent the horns back and it was a rap. I recorded that one in LA too, yeah. I had to. Just absolutely killed it. <laughs> oh my God, it's so good. And then another clip. Who is that? It's a comedian. I'm like- That's uh, Carlos Miller. Oh. It was trying to recreate that Comic View feeling. Comic View was one of those things where it's like, you shouldn't be watching this, but we watching it. So it was like this sneaky thing. And it was so crazy because if she loved me, then she put the turkey next inside the cabbage. I hadn't heard him say that. And that shit came on. And I, I'm a big fan of the 85 South show. Uh, Carlos Miller, Chico Bean, uh, DC Young Fly, they do. Have you seen their show? Yeah. I'm a huge fan of their show. That shit came on. And I was like, no way. She like, she turkey next inside. I was like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa whoa i didn't even tell them that i was doing it so the first listening we had at the studio the whole album together that shit came on and the whole room started down and i was like yes shout out to carlos miller he's one of my favorite thinkers like not even just community like carlos is dope from the 99 to the 2000 <laughs> <laughs> oh man now marked up yo Featuring cheese. My, my brother forever. That projecting on my fear onto you, cause nobody ever said I was enough. Or ever taught me how to trust. Wait, with this that, with this that, glass half empty, holy water, fill it up. My nigga, where you from? Just know I'm better than I ever was. Just know I'm better than I ever was. Tunnel vision, damn, I had to tell my bitch bye. Let her hustle, let her game, all bullshit aside. Pick a lane, what they telling me. Can you introduce us to Cheese, please? Without getting mad, let me see. He's my favorite rapper. Like, a lot of people, like, rap and just say shit because it sounds cool. He lives everything he raps, so he ain't pressed to rap, if that makes sense. So... He'll do this thing where he'll go away and take care of business and then just pop up, be like, yo, bro, I got some shit to say. <laughs> and say the realest shit and then dip off again. And so I've done, this is album number five. I was getting sick of it. I was like, bro, I put out an album and you ain't on none of them. This is stupid. So I knew I was gonna have him on, on an album. And Freak started doing, even before the Dreamville shit, Freak started doing these really big sessions. It's like, yo, whatever happens, happens. So we started doing these big ass sessions if Bugsy needed a song, if Nate had a song, if Cheese had a song, whomever it was, just come. He's like, y'all got the studio for six hours. Y'all go in there and do whatever the hell y'all need to do. I just need y'all in the studio. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first batch of sessions. And we recorded the first verse of Marked Up. Just a verse. Z made the beat in the studio in Vancouver, in Canada. And I did the first verse and we kind of walked away from it. And I loved it so much. It feels like 2050 or something like that. It feels so futuristic, but there's something so nostalgic. There's a pull to it, but it don't sound like anything. I remember watching Z make it 
And he started with the hats first. And the hats were doing this weird ass swing. And I was like, nigga, this is going to be trash. <laughs> then he started doing, then he did the kick. Then he did the snare. Then another like ghost snare. And I was like, you're an eight. Like, it's some, like, I, that was the day I knew it was something wrong with Zenon. Like, like, who are you? He was so, the time signature, the swing was so bugged out. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And then he started layering in those sounds. And I was like, this is the most beautiful shit. Like, I literally, they, I think I hugged him that day because I was like, yo, this is crazy. And did that first verse. And I was like, damn. So when we got back to the States is when that chorus came, like projecting for whatever reason, projecting kept coming up. Mm -hmm. And me and Cheese had a deep ass conversation about that before we even get into the studio. Mm -hmm. I was like, bro, you got to get on this song. If I had to pick a single favorite moment in that whole album, it's his verse. Mm -hmm. Residue on my resume. Like who says some shit like that? But you can only say that if that really happened. Like nigga, you rolled up on your resume. What? Like, all right, I'm gonna get a real job this time. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> That's my brother forever. One of my, like, literally one of the more incredible storytellers, rappers, thinkers, dads, husbands. He's such a good friend to have because he kind of moves to his own beat. But for all the, like, cachet and bravado that a quote unquote real nigga needs to have, he got all them stripes. But he's focused on being a better man. So naturally when you're around him, you want to be better. And uh, I love that dude to death. So damn necessary. There's so many vulnerable points on this album, but I think Marked Up stands out. Projecting all my fear onto you because nobody ever said that I was enough. Yeah. It's so sad, but it's so real. Yeah. And and you see it all the time. People just tweeting, you're enough. And I even saw a bumper sticker the other day that you're enough. And it's like such an important thing to tell people. Absolutely. What was it like being that vulnerable, and especially in the hook too? Like, damn. That was so intentional. In real nigga fashion, I'm like going through a breakup, the breakup of like a serious relationship. Meanwhile, entering a super serious relationship simultaneously. It's the maniest shit I've ever experienced. In that process, though, I realized like how that transference of insecurities and all that and that trauma works, right? Especially in relationships like that, you can put all your shit on your partner and not even know you're doing like you're not doing this shit intentionally, but you're, you're doing it because nobody ever told me that I was enough or my efforts was enough or that I was seen or that I was heard. So you projecting all this trash ass shit on to somebody who don't deserve none of it, you know, and what happened, at least I don't know if everybody does this, but in breakups for me, at least I can get into the victim role for like a blink and then immediately go to like, well, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Sometimes it don't even be that, but let's say for the sake of this, that it is, right? Do you really want to know what you did? You really want to know the role you played in this? Like start asking yourself some real ass questions, right? Without just kind of dismissing it. Well, such and such wasn't ready, all this other shit. No, nigga, what, what was your role of accountability in all of this, right? And for whatever reason, I asked myself that question and that was the answer I got and I rolled with it. Jeez. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> now we get to satire. Yeah, yeah. This ain't no satire. The dead don't die. Third eye open till Satan had his phone gone sight. Know the power of my words, I'm a rep my sight. The only currency is time. This ain't no satire. The dead don't die. Third eye open till Satan had his phone gone sight. Know the power of my words, I'm a rep my sight. The 
I had you were there the <laughs> utmost honor of being there for that that meant so much that you showed up for that that was so cool that meant so much that you had me I try not to do love fest on this podcast because <laughs> the listeners are just rolling their eyes but like you kind of knowing the space that I was in but not asking questions about what space I was in and just being like pull up we're gonna go eat and we're gonna go to the studio yeah. and it's just like on some it sounds corny but it's real like oh shit like i actually mean something to somebody Facts. who is making incredible art and really justifies what i make and really enjoys what i make and now i get to watch this fucking magic happen i think about it all the time because it was just pivotal for yeah. me to be like oh shit there's people who are making great shit and actually care and it's beautiful but like i said the intention that you had in that session nuts fucking watching king ntg and want more nate just just come up with those right there just sitting there you watched them on the spot yeah and i still listen to those bars and i'm just like oh my god god in richmond god is in like what (laughs) (laughs) i had those moments too and this is freak's brain trout so Freak was like community, 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 community. We can do it. What does that look like, Monty? And he was like, just big ass sessions. And so I'm so grateful for him because he was the one that's like, nah, open up the sessions to the people you fuck with. And after we did the first one, the first one was with Murph and him. I was like, oh, this is what this could feel like, right? And so Murph, Doug Imf, Noble, RBC Bugsy, Cheese, Fats, Avante, Freak, myself, Soundtrack Zenon, all these people, and I'm like, oh, shit. But then I start thinking about my sisters in the game, really wanting to tap in with y'all, but also be mindful of what the spaces need to feel like. But a part of me was like, yo, that's patronizing in a way that y'all ain't asked me to curate these spaces for y'all. Y'all just want to be included. So bet, pull up. So Kate came to majority of the sessions. Uh, Ryan Nicole came to the last ones. Anissa came to the last ones. And then I was like, special. Because I always tell you, it's like if there are parallel universes and like parallel experiences, I, for whatever reason, people roast me for this, but I feel like this is the golden era right now. Mm-hmm. Just like the 90s. And, like, and we gonna sleep on it, but I hope we don't. I hope people start appreciating it because it's so much amazing shit being made right now. Yeah. You're our Angie Martinez in documenting. I tell you that shit all the time. You I know you do hate it. it. I, I'm just like, <laughs> oh my God, those are huge shoes to fill. But it, it's so real. So it's like, nah, come in and be a part of it because the context of the process for you means something different than some random like journalist or somebody I'm not cool. I don't fuck with like that. Like we tap in on something different. So I'm like, what you, what's going on? Let's tap. Like I was going through hella shit then too. So we pull up, we had dinner, we just talked about random shit and then it provides context to what's about to happen at the studio or why it happens. So it makes sense. So there's some there's somebody that can actually break down and look at it from a completely different angle than anyone is. And so that, that meant the world. And that experience is one of the highlights of not just the album, but album making since shit, LMA came out in 13. It stands up because two of my favorite rappers of all time, like I've known them my whole lives, but I listen to both of them, both NA and Neo. Like I listen to them like I don't know them. Like that's how much their music moves me, you know? So, and I got to have that moment with them in the studio together. It was just, it meant everything. And speaking of versatility, you talked about versatility with I Am Sue and Kevin Allen and Mm -hmm. just seeing their versatility, like (laughs) it just fit so well. Like it didn't feel packaged or forced or anything like that. It was just, oh shit, (laughs) they did that. It's definitely a high point of the album, definitely. Then we get to Famous. I wanna be like you when I grow up. 
to heaven after they cut my wings. No plan B if I don't blow up. Whatever you do, don't you cry for me. Have choice, push. The beat itself is just wild. Isn't that silly? It's so hard. Who chose that sample? I had a dream. It's stupid. Like it's I, not stupid. No, no, because it, it it is because you, when you have access to soundtrack, Xenon, Flow, Basta, Noble, you feel like you're cheating. Yeah. So I will wake up out the middle of my sleep and voice memo soundtrack like, "Hey, I had a dream." about this kind of example can you flip it for me and he'd send it back so it'd be like 4 a.m 10 a.m i'd have a beat in my email or my text thread and i'm like yo this don't feel fair it's not. You know? and so conceptually because and again the role that that song plays in the album we're at the end but i need to explore how silly misogyny could look in 2019 versus what it may have looked like in 91 92 93 that sort of, you know, where they pull up the tweets and go back 10 years later and cancel somebody for that. No, 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 no. It's 2019. Let's have a conversation about it now. So, and I explained Kev the concept and Kev was kind of looking at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, but it was such a real moment. I wanted to have it and talk about it. It's just silly ass bravado. That whole song is just silly ass bravado and taking credit for something that ain't like, you know, you're not in control of none of that shit. Who do you think you are? I was so happy Kev didn't say no, because part of me thought he was like, no, nah, I'm not getting on that song. Yeah. And he murdered that shit. <laughs> I want to be like you when I grow up. That song is all about taking these important social cues from people that were broken and we didn't know. It's a proud moment in terms of execution conceptually for me, famous is. Just exploring idolization and, and especially how you said, like, you didn't make somebody famous. Like, <laughs> what? So I, like, I get what you're saying, but goodness gracious, that's yeah. a reach. Man, If You Love Me, mm. featuring Ryan Nicole. Produced by Zenon. Listen. Let me kiss your cheek, baby. Mommy gone for two months. I just wean you from the breast and snatch back the baby bump. Finally got me back to me if I had since I'd run. But ever since that first cry, I gave birth to new wants. And I wanted all. All they said I'd have with mindset. The Kuno Motor Oyster World. I'm trying to prove that. My mama ain't there, ain't tell no lies. Got my eyes training the prize bigger than my stomach. But go on, fix my plate. And go on out the way. And go on, watch What did you say to her? For her to take that mom perspective and just... No, no, no. Sorry. You didn't say anything? No. Oh, my God. No. I, I said something, mm -hmm. but it wasn't as focused as she made it. So I was like, yo... I still got the email. I, I wish I could pull it up because it was it was hella vague because mm -hmm. I hadn't... like for I wanted her on the album so bad. Mm -hmm. So the whole point of coming out of Famous into If You Love Me is the point of how silly this sounds next to being raised by a single mother. Boy, you sound silly. I didn't say that to her, but that was the point. So how she approaches us, that's all her. Oh, man. That's all Ryan. I, I can't take credit for that at all. Jeez. She was really all in, and just the <laughs> illustrations that she painted are unlike any other. Isn't that crazy? That's so bugged out. I, forever, I'm a ridiculous fan of hers and wanted to work with her so bad. Mm -hmm. Had no idea it would turn out like that, though. Had no clue. So were you in the studio with her, or she just sent it no, back? she sent me a sketch, voice memo, mm -hmm. and I was like... <gasps> 
but didn't want to weird her out with this long like thank you email so i was like yo that was fire like <laughs> just played it hella cool <laughs> and then when she came to the studio just geeked out hopefully we can drop that video soon because her and anisa were in the studio the same day that day was so meant so much to me because like these are two people I, I really, really adore in terms of like how they think and how they execute their art. It's so out there. And the fearlessness, that's what I aspire to do is be that fearless creatively because they're able to create a world that don't exist. While everybody's kind of doing something sort of familiar, don't nobody sound like an Anissa Strings and nobody sounds like a Ryan Nicole, you know? And that was really why I wanted them on the record. Then we get to Grace. First time I had clean L since like 09. Once I fuel injected dealt, don't get left behind. I'm not to be trusted in this state of mind. If it ain't about money, then I don't waste my time. I knew my old host would call, so I didn't change my line. Ultra petty, first clack in my ascension, I get it, you wasn't ready. I'm so sincere, no outsmarting the belly. Shit, you gotta grow into, so don't lie and tell me you felt me. No labels to shelf me, just my niggas hitting the Venmo. Sleeping in the airport, I gave Mike D my demo. Oh, mama Mona, my life, she the Spearman brothers are back yep we're so thankful <laughs> produced by dj Basta. bro there's sprinkles of dedication throughout but i think that one is such a ode to dedication mm -hmm. was that something that just kind of happened or was that a concept that you were running with with that track um that just kind of happened i don't even want to pretend to take credit for that that just happened Boston and I have a ridiculous amount of songs together doing another project even beyond Seed and the songs that people have heard. Mm -hmm. We have a connection of some sort. I can't really ask, explain it. He knew I needed that. Mm -hmm. He played that for me and I was like, can I, like this is, he's like, yeah, sure. He played it in such a way where he knew I was going to want that beat. And that's when you know those moments are special because I don't remember writing that song. Oh, like wow. it just kind of, that just poured out. And shout out to Trevor from Airship. The day I was doing that song, the way I did the hook, because I didn't write it, I did every other bar and left spaces and it came back in and it was like, yo, give me another take and came back in and filled it in. Mm. He's like, yo, come out. And I came out the room and he was like, that was the most insane shit I've ever seen. They got cameras and stuff in there. It's like, you ain't write that? Mm -hmm. Like, nah, I just, that's just what it felt like. And because of that being the la technically the last song for the album, it's the end. It's called Grace because it's like, yo, I've watched TV all day. Come eat dinner and say grace. And that's how I wanted it to end, you know. You also said on that song that you gave Mike Dean your demo. Do you want to tell that story that's or do you want to leave it at that? No, I can tell that story. Because you knew, you knew once you said it, people are going to be like, wait, what? what? And want to hear that story. <laughs> that's very important. Yeah. I go to Portland all the time. Portland's like a home away from home. And... I just so happened to be flying in the day of, it was Drake's tour, but Drake was bringing out Travis. Mm. And Travis had to have Mike Dean there because that's who does the Travis tours is Mike Dean. Same way for Ye, or at least once upon a time for Ye, it was all Mike Dean. And so I'm waiting for my Uber and who's in line waiting for their Uber is fucking Mike Dean and his partner. And he's smoking a pen. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, thanks. What? I hit the pen and then... I'm like, yo, and we just had mad regular. Like, yeah, Travis is in town tonight. I had to come out last minute. Like, gonna be dope. You should come out. Like, come kick it. And I'm like, damn, that's bugged out. And I just so happened to have Mercy on me. It was the first edit of, of Mercy. Mm. The only one that I had. And I just I was like, here. And he took it. And I mean, 
He took it. <laughs> yeah, but it was just a bug out experience because he was kind of tripping that I knew who he was. But it's like, of course, I wouldn't know who you were. I'm like, I'm a rap a lot, baby. I would definitely know who Mike Dean is. But it was just a bugged out experience. Like to be so influenced by someone that specific and to see them is I had the same experience with Dallas Austin and A3C just recently. Like it's such a specific person to be influenced by and there's specific things in their career that kind of bug. I got asked Dallas Austin something about a bomb squad reference because I knew bomb squad was his favorite, but Dallas has always sound like a more refined bomb squad to me because bomb squad, like what all the public enemy stuff, by the time they got to Cubes, America's Most Wanted, like they kind of refined it, but it was still kind of all over the place. So to me, both Dre and Dallas Austin are like the refined versions of Bomb Squad. And I said that to him and he was like, how old are you, kid? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was a dope experience. So that's basically what the Mike Dean shit was. Like I asked him something about Selena and and then something hella random. He was like, wait, why do you know that? And it was like, I'm just a big ass fan, bro. And so it was just a cool moment. Like, but I gave him a CD in 20. 17 or whatever that was so he was just like what i'm gonna do with this dog <laughs> um, 18 mercy was 18 huh yes damn but still you had to, it, I, had to. I did yeah. i had to I, I could not give it to him yeah and i just love the beauty of just how cool he was like, he was hella cool that in itself is inspiring <laughs> you know because we've had enough experiences to know that a majority of people are really cool yeah. but it's still surprising and inspiring when somebody of that level you're like oh shit you are cool too Fuck. Cool. yeah that made me happy that he was that chill now you just said that grace is the last song technically but we didn't do the whole bonus track weird thing so okay. there's songs after it but okay. in a perfect world grace ends the conceptual part of it i was like do you call them something else <laughs> <laughs> what are they to you <laughs> So State of Emergency Yo. with Secret Sidewalk. State of Emergency, live from the underground. Percocet, you nervous that them junkies ain't coming down. King of the scene, burning dreams still on the ground. You might drown in that puddle, no muzzle. Check the down, radio dead. Off with your head, it's already been said. I was conceived on the ledge. Wet dreams about the cream while I peed in the bed. From the head of the glass to a degree in the beds. You with them, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And given the subject matter and how you're rapping, like I already said, I don't like to give comparisons, but I can't help it again. Like just Rage Against the Machine, Cypress mm. Hill, just mm -hmm. these loud, intense, but very purposeful, very thoughtful things that are being said in just this unbelievable music array like yeah. it's nuts what are sessions with secret sidewalk like unlike anything you'll ever experience in life yes they're all a trip they're all characters but in the best way mike boo is like this humble sort of like sensei type shit mike reed similar steez where he's like kind of quiet but if he know you he'll, he'll talk but he's just got this pocket unlike anything and then both marcus and puzzle are the characters like for real and they know it right but in complete different ways but when you go to their practice space each of their stations are like islands oh. puzzles on an island doing puzzle and is supported by his bandmates to do his thing mike reed is a fucking island like the shit he has around him is crazy and the same with mike boo marcus is probably the most straightforward in terms of what is on his island but he's they're all on their own island and so it's hella welcoming 
And then you just sitting there and they work through these ideas and like they write on the spot. And it's like, yo, how you feeling? So what are some of your inspirations? And I gave them like four songs and they listened to them and they sent me back this rehearsal tape of like them jamming. And it was like, yo, these are the four ideas we got. And they sent me four. And I was like, well, can we take timestamp 107 from this one? And in the first half of this one, the last half of that one, and in the middle of this one and put them together. And they said, fuck yeah. And I was like, whoa, wait, what? Again, it's learning to communicate and be specific about what you want. Mm-hmm. And then they, the version that you hear of State of Emergency is literally all four of those demos jammed together. And to me, it's one of the most beautiful experiences. I was real specific about what I wanted, and that's what they came back with. It's so powerful. Yeah. Do you remember what four songs were they? Your songs? Were no, they no, they people's? were. There was it. No, no. I gave them references. I gave them "Bombs Over Baghdad," oh. a Grizzly Bear song, but like a specific part of a Grizzly Bear song, and there may be one other song. Mm-hmm. But then from those references, they sent me four songs that they wrote, wow. four demos that they were working on. And I was like, well, I, need put, all that. I was like, put these together this way. And then they put them together and then you get state of emergency. Man. And you say on that record, even heaven got genderfied. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Everything's for sale. And the level of capitalism we're up against, we don't stand a chance without the proper resources. So even heaven got gentrified, my nigga quoted, the devil won atonement. Don't talk to me about focus. It's literally that push and pull. Like, I know we won't change. And the fight against evil ain't for everybody. Bet, I got y'all. Y'all chill over here because it's going to be some shit over here that everybody can't stomach. So bet, I got it. So it's like, I'm done praying. I'm done marching for peace. I'm done with all that shit. Like, I'm ready for this war in a completely different way. That's going to make you question some of my morals and shit. But I'm ready for this fight in a different way. I understand if you're not, but let let me do me and I promise I'll be back. And that's what state of emergency is to me. Um, The guys may have another a different perspective of it, but that's what I was attempting to convey the push and the pull that fine line between good and evil like it's so thin to me you know and just the action involves like no the words the march is great <laughs> now it's time for action exactly. so i'm gonna take action <laughs> so and the very last one so far Look like I GPS to freedom. Love how niggas switch their cadence when they realize you don't need them. Keep my line manicured while I shadow box my demons. The hate you didn't settle. Satan never need a reason, but we say Bless the fiends in the Bible's middle finger to the coppers. My nigga held a chopper before he got the hug. His father, real killers in the dope boys. If you looking for a sponsor, talk that righteous shit. But mind my turn. That's the remix, though. Wait. Okay, yeah. okay. It sounded so familiar. So that's from the Rex. Yeah, so that's so, so far we put out as a Lucy, but it technically is a part of rock. Mm-hmm. We put out, right, like just missed a cut of rock, but we still put it out. And so we kind of group it as rock, the original version. We sent the stems from rock to all our producer homies. So that's how Noble did the remix album of rock. Soundtrack has some remixes. There's a few people that have made remixes from rock. Mm-hmm. Steven Anderson did the cover art and then proceeded to give me like the rundown on his music history. I was like, wait, so you a legend for real, for real. Yes. He's like, yeah. He was Studio Tones, like right hand man. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Send him the instrumentals. Cause he sent me back maybe a week after Nip died. He sent me a Nip remix mm. that I play to this day, every day. And I sent him the drive link of all the acapellas from rock. Yeah. He flipped that and made it sound like a movie. 
I hit Flo, I was like, yo, I gotta put this on the album. He's like, go for it. And so that's why those last two songs sit like that because they're collaborations in that way with Secret Sidewalk and then the remixes so far at the end that I, I just couldn't leave off because I love so far mm-hmm. the original version, Sunset Roller Coaster band from, damn, where are they from? Taiwan, I think. Yeah, they're from like Taiwan or something like that. One of my favorite bands, we sampled them and Flo flipped the shit out of that beat. Like nothing sounds like the original so far. Yeah. So when Steven took that and made it sound like that. I was like, yo, this is bugged out. Begged both of them to put it on the record and they were both with it. Because he killed it in a way that it's almost unrecognizable. Like, the <laughs> only thing I recognize is when you do the more flavor free ear yeah. hole. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I have heard that before. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wait, huh? So, okay. That's now why it's come yeah. full circle. Yeah, that's why we did it. Because it, it does sound like a completely different, like yeah. nothing. And he took he took Rod's vocals off it. So it's just one long ass rap. But I think the best part, and I don't know if you did this on purpose, but if you didn't, I'm going to give you credit for it. Just the ending line. I'm going to give the edited version. Just getting started. That's my word to you. And it's such an important place to end, but it's also just completely set you on fire in the best way possible Mm -hmm. because you and I have conversations and there's so much shit in the vault right now that it blows my mind. So you were legit just getting started. (laughs) But now to know that that's a remix, was it intentional to make that the very last line of the album? Well, the way he sequenced it, because remember the original version, Raj comes back. Oh yeah. So Steven, he sequenced it that way and then had the nerve to drop the beat at the end. So I'm like, oh, this has got it. Because initially it was inverted. So far was before State of Emergency. And I flipped it because of that reasoning, though. I kept hearing like Hove and all these different people talk about prophecy because they kept calling stuff braggadocious. It's too much bravado and rap. You too stunt, bling, bling. And now reading that Prince memoir, he's talking about the same thing. He's like, yo, write for the life you want to have. Write for the things you want to see. Write for the places you want to go, more importantly. And understanding how powerful that is it's like that's what a lot of the bravado in tv baby specifically is about where i want to go mm-hmm. and i know what's coming so for anybody listening this is what's coming and we out like fade to black and it just felt like the perfect way to, to end it it really did that aspiration manifestation is indescribable yeah. when it comes to tv babies i noticed a couple of themes yeah the first one being black thought yeah I assume that that just kind of happens when you rap. You just reference Black Thought because he's the greatest. Mm-hmm. What is that like for you? It's so funny because I reference Nip and Fear Love, I reference Nip and Endgame, maybe two other songs. And this is all pre his death. Like the whole album was was done before he died. But since Bullets got on in volume one, he's had the biggest impact on me creatively and as a, as a man, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Same with Black Thought. And so instead of giving these posthumous sort of like, I'll give you flowers, these men who aren't your Jays of the world, who aren't your Kanye's, but are just as impactful, I really wanted to like, hey, you molded me as an MC and made me want to be better and have from the beginning, especially Black Thought. So for me, and because there's this whole thing attached to like, and, and I don't even think it's just a male thing no more. I think it's a people thing where we can't really show love or appreciation without being weirded out by it. I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to do that. Like, so you know, hey man, I'm here because of you and I'm not, make no mistakes about it. So a lot of those references are just me just really wanting to show love and not wait till my man ain't here no more or till I meet him one day. Nah, imitation is the first step of being a creative. And I literally spent the first 20 years of being an MC trying to imitate Black Thought 
trying to imitate Hove, you know, trying to imitate Nas, like all the people I, I think are the greats. And people make the comparison all the time, like whether it be because of the band situation or whatever. Like, yeah, that's that's exactly who I'm like. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that at all. I'm not running from it. So yeah, this is me stepping into the truth. And then TV Babies isn't just an ode to gangster rap either. It's an ode to rap. So there's the gangster rap and there's this space that the roots occupy where it's this gangster nigga. Like, don't ever get it fucked up just because he got a band behind him. Like, Black Thought was with the shit. And so it's like a lot of that is for that imagery alone. You know, it's like, nah, y'all. It's funny what our ears do because it's James Poyser or whomever playing these beautiful ass chords. Do you hear what he's saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> the things that he's able to say and the bars that he's able to create. Nah. My goodness. <laughs> to me, the Black Thought and Roots bars were natural. Mm -hmm. And I think that that shows that Black Thought and the Roots are just a natural part of your life. Exactly. Like it wasn't this crazy... Reach or anything. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't this wild ode that was so carved out. It was like, nope, this is a regular part of my bars. It's like the Roots are a regular yeah. part of my day. So yep. I think that that flowed super well. The other theme that I noticed was sacrifice. Mm. You mentioned your mom maxing out her credit card for the rental, you overdrafting for the plane ticket. Just being honest about those sacrifices, what was it like incorporating that into the music? Mm -hmm. Rock and Mercy really set the tone for this because I would still edit certain stuff, whether it be to spare somebody else's feelings or even my own. I'm not having to own up to certain shit or have dis hard discussions about certain things. And this was the first time where if it came out, it came out words wise, right? So the, the max on the credit card, that line is even more sort of vulnerable because it's my ex's mom at that. So that's really bugged out, you know, and that just was just like, wait, what? Part of like the subconscious reasoning is people would do this thing where like, oh, like Instagram is so deceptive. Oh man, you up, you going around the world, duh, 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 duh. you doing this, I wish I could live your life. Fam, you don't know that I slept in the airport last night. You don't know that I'm flying because I can't afford a B&B or a hotel. I'm about to sleep in this studio in Portland for three nights just so I could be here and record. You don't know that the credit card is mixed out, that I'd overdraft to get. I flew to Amsterdam with $11, bro. Like, and, and, and again, it's not something to glorify. It ain't even nobody's business, but it's this shit ain't easy, mm -hmm. you know, and people kind of dismiss it as a hobby or it being easy to do whatever you want. But this is what I chose. And so these are the sacrifices that I've made for said journey mm -hmm. so that when it does pop, don't you, none of you niggas dare say it was overnight or that it was easy or that somebody helped or there was any nepotism, bro. We worked day and night for this, you know, don't undermine my journey and try to say it was, it was easy or, or it was overnight. Like that's, that's just shitting on everything we worked for. I wanted to start painting some of them pictures for people, what this could look like, you know, and whether you relate or not, this is my truth. I think it's so important because other people can do what they want with that information, but I think creatives take that in and not only applaud it, but feel it mm -hmm. and understand that, okay, when I do something along those lines that other people might call reckless or dumb or whatever, no, I know what my purpose is, I know what I'm doing, yep. and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And I think you incorporating all that stuff and really telling those stories has such an impact on creatives because it's like oh okay he did what he had to do to do it whether it looked dumb it felt good yeah. so that's what it had yeah. to be done 
the last common theme is I feel like you brought up your degree a lot mm. on this album yeah. and not just randomly talking about how you have a degree, really the juxtaposition of that degree and the college experience and getting money and just what that translates to and how you were getting money and all those things. Why did you choose to bring that into this album? It's important because... <sighs> That particular part of my life is fascinating as shit, right? So my mom, my dad, my grandparents, like, they worked their asses off. I didn't want for shit, like, if I'm being honest. We weren't rich, but I never wanted for nothing. Our homes were put together, like, we were fine. For whatever reason, when you go away to school, something clicks in where it's like, I'll be damned if I call home for money. Like, I don't know what that is. And everybody said, hey, hey if you need something, call. And I think I called one time and was met with some stress that wasn't meant for me, but I took it wild personal, and I was like, I ain't doing that no more. And that meant hustling. Meanwhile, my major is criminal justice. <laughs> Dead ass special, like, I start taking my upper division shit, and it's a corrections class. So it literally is talking about the system of building prisons and funding them. And for whatever reason, up until that point, I was still hella optimistic and like really into my career. I was like, yo, I'm gonna get into criminal justice and I'm gonna really be an advocate and like change it from the inside. Like I was dead ass serious about that. That day in class, I went, oh, <laughs> this shit ain't gonna work. <laughs> like I'll never forget my professor going, yeah, so it cost anywhere from three to 10 million to build it. And this is what they get paid per prisoner by the state each day and how it's funded and all. I'm like, so that's just a lick. So if you got some extra bread sitting around, it would behoove you to go build you a couple prisons. And then you start seeing Michael Jordan and all these people that that are part of the board on privately owned prisons. And I'm like, nigga, you got to be kidding me. Everybody's favorite president, Bill Clinton. And so from that day on, I still was like kind of like shunning the street shit at that time. Man, I left that lecture that day and went and got fronted my first. Like it was like that type of shit. Something in my mind clicked and I was off to the races. And then you add some sort of tact or some type of structure to hustling in that capacity because that valley, it was all kind of money in that valley. And again, my perspective is different because I'm from the Bay where they wasn't looking for money at. We was getting money in places. And so it just it just like it unlocked something and it was different. So it was trying to humanize people that subscribe to that life because some of the most stand-up people I know are street people subscribe to that lifestyle. And I speak that language for whatever reason. And I'm not, again, not glorifying and not proud of it, just trying to humanize it and have a real conversation so it's not just as dismissed as people not wanting to work or be lazy. It's like, nah, this system is fucked up. What do I look like feeding into it? But on the backside, I'm risking my whole future trying to evade something that's gonna lead me right there. It's the most fucked up cycle you could think of. And so if someone like me could end up subscribing to that mentality, what you think somebody else gonna do, you know? So that, that was really what I was trying to paint, like really from my grandmother's perspective, cause they were both so proud of me attending school and all that stuff. And I was supported and had everything I needed. And that even that didn't matter when this weird ass pride and societal pressures kick in, it's go for broke. You know what my mom and dad would have done had I called and said I needed help? Like, they would have figured that shit out. But I'm going, y'all got a whole bunch of other kids back home. What I look like taking money out their pocket and I can get money. And you touch 50 in an hour, it changes you forever. You'll never be able to forget that feeling. It's such an important story to tell because everybody I know who hustles had the same experience. Not so much in a college 
atmosphere mm-hmm. if you get the opportunity to really have a real conversation with somebody who hustles it's not this lazy thing and it's <laughs> not this fucking oh i don't know how to do anything else thing it's i realize what the world around me looks like and I'm going to do what I have to do because the odds are set up against you. And it's like, okay, what can I do to make sure I'm good? I don't know if you got this feeling, but it kind of feels like a cheat code to be learning all the criminal justice things. So (laughs) I feel like you're learning about laws and it's like, okay, well, I can get away with this. Or if I do this, then it's only this. I wish I was that smart. I feel like in hindsight, I haven't told this story like publicly, but I tell it to friends. I wasn't home very long but we were still getting money like in a crazy way. So it was like 20 people went out to eat and it's a few rappers at the table. And I think even a professional athlete or two mm-hmm. and the bill came and I just took care of but paid cash. Mm-hmm. And my sister's sitting next to me and like without breaking her conversation, she did that mom shit where she like, whatever you doing, stop it. Yes. My sister's younger than me, but both of them act like my mom. But in particular, Ariana, her instincts are just so good. I've always really deferred to her. And for whatever reason, I listened. Cold turkey just stopped. And one of the homes up there got, got hit like a couple weeks after that, like some crazy shit. And I never even told her that, but it's like she saved my life because I was, that shit was so stupid. It was so stupid. But again, I would, that's another part of my life I wouldn't change because I learned so much and, and really, really, really learned what surrender meant. But I like to advocate and paint that picture because like from the college athlete standpoint, the student athlete standpoint, and then from a particular experience in America, like we just kind of do away with people. We were talking about this the other day. It's like Asian Americans, Indian Americans, like they don't kick their kids out of 18. There's this community thing. They keep your credit intact, keep all this shit intact until you can actually afford to go out on your own. That might mean when you 30. Yeah. But just out at 18 guarantees your ass is going to accumulate some strange amount of debt and be upside down your whole life. And it's like, yo, how do we start changing that? And that's really what I uncovered in that time. And I thank God for my ex's family for that type of living where it's like, nah, we're going to support each other, start talking about financial literacy, all these different things to really feel like you have a chance to get from up under that constant grind. Like, that's really all it is, you know, and so. Those conversations are really to highlight a larger conversation as to why someone would subscribe or subject themselves to those type of risks. Because that's some Vegas odd shit where it's like, nigga, you the likelihood of you dying or going to prison is like ninety nine percent. And you still go nah, but I'm going to get I'm about to hit I five and go get this half from fucking cartel. That's stupid. And you a college graduate still goes yeah i'm gonna do that anyway though that's crazy you got to explore something beyond just dismissing it as somebody not wanting to work there's something deeper there no it's most definitely deeper we laughed about it because it was funny how you told the story but like (laughs) it's not funny like the fact that these private prisons exist and so many odds are stacked against people for just strange reasons like we could go on for days days, like it's disgusting and it's disturbing but the main part is just recognizing that people aren't doing it because it's fun or it it's cool or it's lazy or no they they recognize the bigger picture the risk yeah exactly anything else you want to say about tv babies no man i didn't i didn't expect to say all that like that's crazy that i got to talk about it in that much depth and not about tv babies but you hosted the listening party that was on my 30th 
That's one of the best days of my life. Working that hard on an album, sharing it with people like that in that space, and then having people react like that to it was crazy. Like for a minute, it was all a blur. And then Basta came, or because I wasn't looking behind me, I was looking either at the screen or I was looking down, like listening. Like I found the Trinity in between the speakers and wouldn't move. Basta comes up and he's like, hey, turn around and take all this in just real quick. I just need you to take this in. Before I turned my back, it didn't feel like it was that many people there. And then I turned around, I was like, where did all these people come from? And so I thank you for being there for the cake and and just making that day. That was really one of my the best days of my life and it'll be tethered to my 30th, the release of this album and just what staying committed to a vision could look like. I aspire to do a lot in life, but the ability to have a vision and to stay that dedicated is probably the great, one of the greater gifts I've ever been given and, and to have it executed as such, so too. That album release party was such a moment because I personally am not a fan of listening parties because I don't feel like they're often executed properly. Mm-hmm. But that was such a different experience. It was so quiet in that room. You go to other listening parties and people are talking the whole time and just going inside, outside, and all over the place. Everybody was so attentive to what they were hearing. Absolutely gorgeous. That's crazy. And not to mention, too, I don't know if I've ever even had this conversation with you, but I have it with Jeremy all the time. The community that you've built around yourself and the quality of people, absolutely (sighs) top-notch. Like I run into, you know, Jojo when we're at the Big Crit show or mm. and I go to your shows and I see them and it's just incredible people. Yeah. I can't even ask, like, how do you do it? But I'm I just want you to know that I'm so appreciative and just in awe of that community yeah. that you've created because they're incredible people. That's the greatest compliment. You are who you surround yourself by. And the fact that relationships are built outside of me being around. I've seen it. I've literally watched what the power of community could do for the Soquarians, for example, for Dungeon Family and Organized Noise and all them, for example, like the TDE and all, like the more you it is, the better odds y'all gotta just like, when somebody bum rush the door, we can bum rush the door, you know? And that's all, I'm like, Damn, I, I'm really into stories. So if I bump into you, you tell me your story. And if I, I met Soundtrack, he's telling me his story like whoa it's more of you and then i keep meeting all these great ass people yo let's click up and put this together and make it something that we can honestly say we shook up barrier culture forever and then that reaches the world too so that's all it is is being a reflection of the people you fuck with and i fuck with y'all so i'm good then you can answer this however you want (laughs) what's next for you (laughs) building and being intentional about the community right Mm -hmm. so you host a show, right? But you also produce a show. You also edit a show. You do the artwork for the show. Especially, you do 15 jobs for one of the things you produce. Yeah. Somehow, some way, in the process of doing all that, the value of your efforts gets diminished because it's just easy to you. And you're like, ah, it ain't that big a deal. Fam, it's somebody getting paid six figures, sometimes seven, for one of the things you're doing out of the 15 for your show. No one's educating us on that and no one's building an entity in a, in a world in which we can monetize such efforts. These kids are coming up and they're editing on TikTok and all this stuff. And because it's so easy, they kind of just like, ah. Meanwhile, some kid of different access and different privilege is walking out of college without debt and making six or seven figures on the same shit. 
So Bravaria is moving into a space beyond just music. It's an education house and for marketing, for publishing, for production, for administrative stuff. Like, like, yo, if you're not talented enough to be a fucking rapper, but you love rap and you love singing, you want to be a manager, you want to be a booking agent, you want to be a music supervisor, whatever. We're going to start educating on that. Because if I go to one more fucking conference and not see none of us represented in them rooms, I'm going to scream, yo. I am. And it's too much dope shit being produced here for that not to be in place already. So that's what we've been working on. Uh, One studio is underway being built. Uh, We're working on acquiring a second one. And it won't just serve as a recording space. It'll serve as a means of education on how to protect our monetization of our efforts is is what we're moving into. So that's, that's my biggest overarching thing that I know is going to take time growing the podcast network as a whole and becoming a network and helping other shows acquire some of the stuff we just lucked into you know uh, the music is going to be there working really close with a couple friends on original content for shows too which is a passion of mine as a scriptwriter. so i pitched my first tv show it got picked up and we'll shoot the pilot top of spring so a lot of really cool shit that just takes time you know <laughs> You're throwing all this at me. I'm (laughs) speechless. This is nuts. Congratulations. Thank you so much. That day was a really big day for me because one of the first things I ever wrote was a script, you know, and developing ideas. It's once you learn how to do it, you're like, damn, this is what people are doing. And I was so nervous going to that pitch. I was late to my pitch meeting. Like all these things happened and I pitched it and they loved it. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. So, yes. Wow, absolutely gorgeous. I get little pieces of things that you're doing, you know, on Instagram. Or I talk to you and I hear about this and I hear about that. And it's just like everything that you're talking about creating, yeah. you have completely embodied. And I know from knowing you that you did all that yourself. Yeah. You figured out exactly how to navigate this creative space to monetize it and make sure that you're okay. Yeah. And of course, for you being the person that you are of course that only extends out to okay now i learned how to do it now i got to teach other people, people on. How to do that's it. it it means nothing if you couldn't put people on you know what i'm saying and and not put people on in the sense of like they're under your thumb but in a rock nation aspect where you show people how to be self-sufficient as a means to grow our own economy like that's going to make us go so much further so if you got a studio i'm not coming to get the homie hookup because they're not going to give me that over there let me put that bread in your pocket so aka frank has a studio sk has slap wagon let me go tap in with them and put that bread in their pocket so that they'll in return come spend money with me so that dollar you know we talk about the asian dollar the black dollar like what the artist dollar where is that going you feel me is it going to people that really understand what this community is or are we outsourcing everything nah it's enough of us flow it does marketing nigga i'm not going to hire no marketing firm my right hand man let me give him that money so it stays in here and he can develop my whole marketing plan for the next album you know what i'm saying like that type of stuff so it's just it's really important not to mention how well he knows you that's a whole then you know that, I, mean? <laughs> I don't have to explain myself to you. you know what this you know what i want is. Like, good oh man Thank you so much. Thank you, Special. Like, I can't put into words how thankful I am for you just sharing all of this with us, from the music to 
the descriptions and yeah. the illustrations and the bars. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it with you. Yes. You care. You knew what to ask to get shit out of me that I just normally wouldn't have talked about. I can't believe half the shit I said, I'm like, oh my God, you know, but I'm, I'm glad because it's going to offer the proper context to something I believe is so special. And perhaps that's the missing link to make it connect the way I wanted it to connect. You know what I'm saying? So I thank you for giving me this opportunity. No problem. It absolutely deserved it. You deserved it. And I just can't wait. Like I said, I know you got more music in the vault and we just can't wait for it. So we're just going to leave it at that. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you thank you. Yeah. And thank you so much for checking out this episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever you're listening on. And then reach out to me. Just say hi. Tell me what your favorite part was. Whatever you want to do. I'm on Twitter at Special Says and on Instagram it's at Special Says as well. As you may have heard on the previous episode, the next episode will be with Merz. It's coming. I promise you're going to get it. Now, I always like to dedicate my episodes to Marlon, but this episode, unfortunately, we do need to dedicate to not only Marlon, but RBC Bugsy. Do what you can to stop senseless acts of gun violence.